You got three scoops. Too smooth. Uh, yeah, I didn't pull it off right at the right time, but no worries. We're here. And we have a guest, a special guest, the man on a mission, the podcast extraordinaire man, Dr. Zach Loafman. How you doing? Hey, y'all. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. The craw daddy. Yeah. yeah. My other life. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so we usually talk about what coffee. Do you drink coffee, Zach? Are you I a coffee drink coffee. Guy? Yeah. Um, I mean, I do drink coffee. I don't know a damn thing about coffee, though. <laughs> That's okay. You drink uh, it, though. What right? I know about coffee is that I like cheap coffee. I don't like swanky coffee. Interesting. So, so I like go to a local convenience store, and that's the coffee that I drink. Okay. So fair that's enough. me. Do you no put things in it, or do you drink it black? <laughs> um, black. I, yeah. Like Riley's soul. No. I'm a pansy. I wanted. I had a lot of crap to make it sweet. Well, that explains how you can handle the cheap shit. Because if you drank it black, you'd be like, "Why is it burned dirt?" Yeah. Oh, it definitely tastes like burned dirt. That's the way I prefer it to be. Mm. All right. Um, So, but no, I put like creamer in there and some sugar stuff like that. Okay. All right. Yeah. I have. uh, We're getting to the point now where we're getting recommended coffee, and uh, Jacob Crook sent me a message. Um, telling me to try this sump coffee. Oh, I've so that's heard what about I'm drinking. that. Yeah, you had to order that online. It's the Costa Rican uh, stuff. It's pretty good. Um, it says it tastes like dark chocolate and dark ripe fruits. I don't know about that, but I need more. It's coffee. delicious. Riley's just getting started. Well, I've been on Kauai coffee. Uh, mm. vanilla macadamia nut. So I usually Ooh. don't buy flavored beans. You know, I kind of just want to taste the beans, not things put on my beans. But this was <laughs> gifted to me, and I'm okay. not one to waste the beans. And it's been pretty good. Not bad. Yeah, It okay. smells like the things that it says it's going to taste like, and then it tastes like burnt dirt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, I guess it's like the... Uh, <clears throat> Is there a word for that PhD that when you smell something and then you taste it because you smell it? Well, you're you're chemo recepting it just like a snake. Ah, and oh, look at that! Mm. Yeah, it's chemo reception. <laughs> Touching your inner snake, I get it. Okay. So I, I am a snake, and uh, were you born near the snake? I was. No, I'm a rat, unfortunately. Ooh, that's a tough. <laughs> you're low on the totem pole, buddy. Yeah, 1996, you're the rat. Yikes. Oh, 1996, that was a good year for me. Me too. That's the year I met Eddie Van Halen. Mm, and shit. as soon as your eyes locked, I emerged. <laughs> That's right. <Ew. laughs> You're a product of that energy. Spe- yes. Speaking of Eddie Van Halen uh, in that, that genre and era, uh, RIP Meatloaf. Did Meatloaf uh-huh. die? Oh, yeah, he did. Oh. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, nice. Yesterday? Or day before that happened? I think it was today. I think it was today, today yeah. Oh, that is... Ex- okay. Yeah. Anyway. Back anyway, to yeah. So, you know, fire up your ovens, cool. cook up a meatloaf in his honor. <laughs> so what's up? <laughs> With me? <laughs> yeah, what's up? Yeah. Guest of honor. <laughs> uh, not much. Semester started, as Lucas is aware. Oh, shit. Really? Currently. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Lucas, you know, like, log back in, get back to class. Down. <laughs> exactly. 
until May. But no, good things are good things are happening. Uh, Brumation's full swing for me since I'm the resident Calubra guy. But you know, I do have Marilia in the garage right now. I'm giving them a go at a pair of Poplins and a pair of um, Coastals. Uh, and I have okay. seen one I have of us. One. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen Excellent. locks in the Poplins. <laughs> Haven't seen. I've seen cuddling in the Coastals. Um, okay. And yeah, I'm just seeing what will happen. I I, I have Govies too, and I have this bank of enclosures in there that are these big, nice, custom-made PVCs in the garage. And it was just it got too cold for the uh, the water cobras that live in those PVCs. Oh, really? So I pulled them out, brought them up here to school for the winter time, and then I had Govies in there, and I was like, okay, so I can get these things up to like 78, 80 degrees in the day, and they drop right down to 60, like repeated repeatedly. And I thought, all right, cool. Well, we have the the Marilia up here. I actually have a bunch of coastal, or sorry, IJs are right there, or pop winds, whatever you want to call them, in my office. So I thought, what the hell? And uh, yeah. yeah, I think I'm, I think I'm gonna get eggs from the pop ones. I'm not sure about the coastals though, so we shall see. Nice. Still Let's got plenty see, of time on get... those coastals. Yeah, mine are mine are locking up like right now as you know. Perfect timing. So I bet you're, I bet being East Coast, you're getting even better pressure fronts. So oh, you're yeah. still in the, the prime time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hell yeah. 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 I mean, we're, ass. we're, we're not even getting rain or anything right now. <laughs> no. So. No. Nice. It seems like every other day is snow. I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Lately. Yeah. And then what was bizarre is then when Christmas and New Year's, like that time period, Everybody over here was like, oh, what the hell's happening? There's a high of like 68, and it should be 45 or 40. So yeah. this has just been a yeah. totally nutty winter so far. It's just like something's happening to the climate. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's, like it's getting change. warm or something. <laughs> um, I, I do have to ask before we, we roll past it, how cold was too cold for water cobras, and how did you determine that? Uh, uh, nighttime drops are the most important thing for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, granted, like you don't want the room to be holding at 40. That's bad. But mm-hmm. uh, it, when you start having habitual nighttime drops below 50 or at 50. Okay. It, that is, they can survive that. They certainly get to that in Paraguay and Bolivia and you know places where they live. But at the same time, that's when I start to see respiratory infections pop. And I don't want to deal with, with that with them because they don't handle it well. And they, <laughs> they just... I mean, they normally throw a fit when they don't like what's going on. And when I wouldn't like, want to give a water cobra a shot yeah. when they're sick, they're, <laughs> they're either like laying there. And every time you look at them, you're like, oh, God, you're dead. Oh, God, you're dead. Like a reoccurring theme or you get near them and they just don't want to have it. And it's tail whipping, projectile yeah. pooping, mock striking, you know, the good stuff. Yeah. So I moved everybody up here that that needed to. And, and they're fine. I do have one male, though. To be honest, that I, I decided we'll just see what happens because he was tolerating it just fine. He's in the top part of the the room, like up near the ceiling, so the drops weren't as as strong. Hmm. And uh, yeah, he seems to be doing perfectly fine. But I have like a literal wall of hydrodynasties in there, so sweet. Uh, moved him up here. <laughs> now, is this your first season attempting to cycle and breed carpets, or or have you done that before? I've I've pulled it off twice. With uh, the pop ones, but that's the carpet that I like. I, I just think they're cool. I knew I, I like liked their... you for a reason. <laughs> Smart like... man up in this yeah. house. I, <laughs> I like the zoogeography. I like the size. I like the color palette. They're they're just fun. 
Um, and I got those to go in, uh, and yeah, 2020, um, by moving them upstairs. And actually, now that I think about it, doing the window trick, uh, mm -hmm. in a in a room that we have here that nobody was using. And then last year, uh, graduate student, still graduate student, now keeper at St. Louis, uh, Alex Schmacht, <laughs> who's a Marillia head. He came on here and was a you know keeper here for our collection. And, and they basically was like, hey, I've got pop ones. You cycle them and you get them to go, they're yours. And so he got a, a pair, the other pair that I have to, to go and drop. And then this year uh, is my, I'm, this is the first time I'm trying it in my house. So I, I just brought them home for the wintertime. And we tried Coastals last year and they, they didn't go. And we tried, Bradley have actually been a pain in our ass. You would think with me being able to get them cold that they would have gone. Uh, but we just had, our males had no game whatsoever. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, so they didn't anyway. want to. They didn't want to play with my thesis. No, and and you needed them to play for your thesis <laughs> too. And I was counting happen. on them. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so anyway. with that in mind, though, uh, are you? You know, we talk about the periods of time during the year where we do initiate these cycles and go through the different the different mm -hmm. phases of it. Are you lining up your cycles uh, at the the same time frame with your colubroids and your pythons? Or are you starting some earlier, some later? Or is it, you know, different cold points, but yeah. how about timing wise? I, I pretty much line them all up. Uh, I okay. do a lot of cycle feeding with everybody. So in the late August through September, I'm just pounding the hell out of them with rats. But outside of that, it's kind of a sparing diet. Uh, when they come out of brumation, I hit them with some rats. Um, but that seems to be a major contributor, I think, to the success because with the with the pop ones, we were doing that because they're in my office and I have complete control. The mm -hmm. uh, coastals are in the general collection of the university here. And you know, I can tell people to do that, but telling people to do something and them actually <laughs> doing it is two completely different things. So uh, when I was looking at the food records, we weren't really doing what we needed to do uh, on the food end. So this year I kind of took the bull by the horns with the coastals. and was like, we, we just, we, I literally want more coastals for the collection, and I thought we have a beautiful male of Rockhampton. Um, that's the male, and then our nice. female we think is a Rockhampton. We bought her that way, but she doesn't really show that kind of Rockhampton swollen head, narrow snout. And I'm pretty right. sure that when we got her, we just got her because somebody wanted to make a couple extra hundred bucks. At the time. Mm -hmm. So anyway, <laughs> but those animals will stay here. And if any of them leave, I'm going to totally tell people like, these are probably coastal mutts, but they're still nice coasts. So mm -hmm. right. there you go. But no, we'll see what ultimately comes of that. Uh, yeah. That would be a new subspecies on my breeding record though. So nice. I'm, I'm rooting for them. <laughs> Do you have a total number of species that you've bred? Uh <laughs> yeah um it's not as high as one might think because i haven't really done this breeding thing with the snakes till the past five years but and it's all almost all entirely the colubrid colubroid side of the fence but i think i'm probably sitting at somewhere between a dozen and 15 species that's good um after this year if all the colubrids go it's going to probably be if you if you like use subspecies as your metric I'm definitely going to be pushing 2530 without any problem whatsoever because I've got a lot of tax. I've never really tried. They're all North American colubrids, but I have a student who's 
So we're testing the idea that you hear everybody talk about, um, where if you cook an egg at a colder temperature longer, you're supposed to get bigger babies. Right. Um, you know, everybody says that. Uh, but I, of course, being me, was like, all right, well, I'm going to go find the reference for that. I was actually looking for the reference for that as an example of like how herpetoculture is based on fact when I wrote that paper, the natural history paper, because I thought right. this has to be out there somewhere. It doesn't exist in the published literature. <laughs> I tried to find it. Yeah, and I went and I would talk to zoo people and like everybody talks about it and it's in people's spreadsheets, but it's not in a paper with peer peer reviewed source. So mm -hmm. I thought, well, hell, that's like the coolest master's thesis ever. We just get to breed a bunch of snakes. So uh <laughs> and it justifies doing that. So um right. one of my current students, that's her her thesis. And we did it last. I'm not gonna let the cat out of the bag because we got the first round of data. I, I will simply say my response to that data was. Huh. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah, fair but, enough. Uh, but um, well, that could certainly go either way. <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted it to be. Thanks. <laughs> yep, you're welcome. I wanted it to be two years in case there was something in the water, or the air, mm -hmm. whatever. That's just being good. So last year, I spent the better part of the the summer trying to acquire as many pairs of adult breeder colubrids as I could. Nice. Um, last year. You guys in your holiday show, you always like air your grievances. Yeah. I know we're, we're past that point, but I'm going to air a grievance. <laughs> I think that if you are in the business of selling snakes, you should know how to sex a goddamn snake. <laughs> because I bought oh, so many Riley. pairs that Riley. ended up yeah, being Riley, go. <laughs> males. I've got like, I literally have six male California king snakes right now and two mm. females. And I'm supposed to have 4.4. So... So I, it drives I had, me insane that like I, people do that. I had a, a similar problem, but it was, it was on the opposite end of the spectrum. The problem is I couldn't, I couldn't keep most of them. Um, so uh, are you familiar with the, the MIA line of jungles that, that has mm -hmm. made its, its way into the States? Yeah. So I, I got into the first wave of that and uh, I get my pair in set them up in quarantine a couple months into quarantine i decided to finally like double check the gender turns out i have two females which normally would be like sweet i'll just you know let them know like hey man these are two females can i just buy another male but at the price tag i couldn't do that so it was like you send me a mail i'll just send this back when it's convenient sort of thing send it back get the next one in check it when it comes in female like, hey hey dude I'm like uh can we do this again? Sends me another female. Female <laughs> <laughs> like, guys. Like I, I'm not. I'm not upset. But like we could have. We could be done. <laughs> um, and eventually, the you know fourth time was the charm, and I finally got my mail. But uh, how does that and happen? Then, and like, then after that, I go to get a, a couple uh, Papuan carpets, a pair, <laughs> and uh, like same thing, two females. I'm like, like. Yeah. I check out almost every time now. And I was like, look, I'm not upset, but I was really hoping to get a pair because of this line. And I want to, you know, that, that was the point of buying them. And, you know, can I, can it buy a male as well? And it, that worked out. I I'm getting a male now, but still, I was like that, wow. that was the theme of me buying animals last year. It's like, they're all missexed. Yeah. All <laughs> of them. In my Pretty case, much. what was happening is with Cali Kings adults. If you don't, I've learned this. Cause I don't keep, 
Cali Kings, but I was like, California King snakes are relatively easy to breed. For this study, they're the they're a perfect snake to be included in this because hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of them have been produced in her oh. culture. So oh. you know, it's a standard, if you will. And what right. was happening is I was getting adults, and with the adults, oh. if you don't express the musk glands that go back into the tail, that musk becomes impacted in kind of like toothpaste. So what happens is when you put the probe in. It create it pinches oh. off that sulcus where the hemipene is, so you go like three, four scales deep. It stops, and then you're like, "It's a girl." And so I got, but you can visually look at colubrids though. Lots Let's of see. them, yeah. See that really wide, yeah, tail. So uh, the first time it happened, I I probed it here, literally at my desk, um, and it went three or four scales deep. But I was looking at the damn thing. I was like, "There's absolutely no way. There's no way that this is a female." So I put it in some warm water and massaged that gunk out of the musk gland. And as soon as I did that, expressed those glands, the probe went right in. Like, mm. son of a bitch. So that was the first one. Um, and then getting the people that I was dealing with to, like, believe me, because they were like, oh, no, I probed that. It's female. I'm like, no, it's not. I had to literally, like, set up my phone on here and videotape me probing the damn snake to show them, like, you know, because they didn't trust what I was saying. So... Mm -hmm. Most of the people um, ultimately either gave me a different species of snake I was looking for, and I got, you know, pairs. Uh, but I'm still sitting at way too many male Cali Kings. Um, but, yeah, no, that's my number one herpetoculture grievance of 2021. Uh, and I don't want to – like, I'm done. I just don't want to buy – after the number of purchases I had to do for this individual's thesis and dealing with people, I'm like – no, <laughs> don't want any more new snakes. I just want to like ride where we're at right now. I'm happy. Right. I'm getting things from people I know, know what they're doing. Like that. That's just what. If I'm getting anything, so yeah. As a, a side tangent to that, I I learned this year that you can uh, palpate and feel hemipenes in baby corns, baby kings, <laughs> a lot of those little things. I was like, oh shoot! So you mean I don't even have to do that with my meat yeah. sausages and like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's. That's a relief. And now I can just sit there and go, bink, boy, girl, boy, girl, and just like, bink, yes. bink, bink, move on. Very good. Love it. Love it. Nice. Bink, 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 bink. Although right yeah, now I, I would have problems. I've got like expanding foam crust all over my fingers. <laughs> yeah. oh, 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 from foam. Yes. Yeah, I, I should not be allowed to sex baby snakes right now. My fingers are not friendly. Yeah. Ooh. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. I've been working on a tank build. I've got expanding foam and like, like yeah, I've got expanding really foam and mortar say. all over there. It's <laughs> like it does not feel good. My hands no. beat up. Building tanks is fun, but your hands take a beating. They do. Wear gloves. Yeah. Don't be like me. PSA. Yeah. Yes. There you go. <laughs> Words cool. to live by. Okay. So uh I don't know. What are we talking about? What are we gonna? <laughs> yeah. Whatever y'all want to, man. <laughs> Well, you yeah. see here on Carpets and Coffee, the one thing we never have is a plan. <laughs> <That's all good. laughs> we throw at the wall to see what sticks. Yes, I do have. Yes. I do I, have. A, yeah, go I, ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, please. Okay, I'll go. Um, so uh, you know, we we we're talking. Eric and I were talking on last week's episode, and we we talked a bit about your br brumation bonanza, mm. and uh, kind of highlighted that we might dig into that with you a little bit while we have you here sure. captive audience um so eric is that where you were going as well 
Yeah. Nice. I, so listening to that, I think I I maybe messaged this to you as you guys got me thinking and I sort of went down this rabbit hole with diamond pythons and trying to figure out how they breed and doing all the, you know, looking at the temperatures and all that kind of stuff, weather spark, all the stuff. Yes. <clears throat> and, um, um, you know, I was looking at it and I was wondering, is there any thought to snakes in general, um, inducing them to, to breed by how fast the temperature drops? Not the not the fact that it drops, but like how fast that temperature goes from what would be a normal temperature to low temperature. Got what you're saying. Assuming that you cleared them out, I think that now. Granted, we're talking about 2,500 plus species of animals. So for, if the if the metric is snake, um, there's almost certainly going to be a proportion of snakes that that's a trigger. And so then you got to think about where would that be an advantageous trigger. So I would argue that that's probably going to be an advantageous trigger in an environment that's unstable, mm-hmm. where you basically are going to be going from, you know, I, ideal to above ideal temperatures, and then you're going to crash real quick. So if that's the case, having a trigger where you have where you have a, a drop real quick might induce those hormone cascades we're talking about much faster but it's going to have to be from an evolutionary perspective it's going to have to be an animal that lives in a in an ecological system where that's part of the equation so gotcha. places where that where animals that i could like snakes off the top of my head have no clue if this is actually true and if nipper listens to this he's gonna <laughs> have something to say but i oh, can see man. like he always does <laughs> i can see adders um in europe being an right. example of a taxa where that would happen. Cause if you're, you know, up in, I think that they make it up into Scandinavia, like Holland, Norway, places like that. You're, you're going to have those, you, you got summer, 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 winter. Right. So like you don't have the luxury of necessarily summer, fall, fall, winter. So uh, temperate colubrids could do that as well. Like the uh, red sided garter snakes. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The up in Manitoba. But mm-hmm. red-sided garter snake, same subspecies in Kansas, probably not going to be a, a as as big a trigger. Now, I have thought the funny thing that I've learned about now that I do podcast is that you actually don't ever stop thinking about them after you create them. No. So <laughs> I have like now that I did the banana, banana, brumation bonanza, it is literally. <laughs> I have not. You made them. a hard word. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <I can't. laughs> So, um, because uh, the flip side of that is the guest we had last week, Chad Fuchs, mm-hmm. who's in yeah. Wisconsin. That was a great show. Yeah. Well, yeah. Chad's yeah. like, yeah, don't brewmate him. I keep him 78 <laughs> year round. Like, yeah, that was. What the hell? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> no. I like, mean, my son mind of was a bitch. Like, <laughs> so, um, so, and, and he had taxa that, that like are from more Northern climates that are doing that. And he has stuff from Florida. I could totally see like, if you're breeding Florida King, I'm Calubra guy. So we'll go with the Kings. If you're breeding mm-hmm. Florida King snakes, Florida Kings are basically kind of like diamonds. I know it gets colder where diamonds live than Florida, but at the same time, I think the main temperature cue for something like that is going to be your night drop. It's not going to be right. your daily temperature. Okay. So right. if you're keeping those in your house in Wisconsin and you're holding it at like 78, whether we want to admit it or not, that rack that they're living in, it's still getting a temperature 
flux to some degree. And it's probably just enough of one of those triggers to make them start the process. So I don't have a problem seeing like those things breed, but like thinking about other species that he has, if he has California king snakes that are from further north in California, um, and he mentioned uh, Mexican black kings and some of the, in the desert, you've been to the desert. Uh, it's a, it's not hot all the time. It's hot, then cold, then hot, yeah. then cold. Like that's literally right. part of a, a part of a desert. So it's going to be getting those like cold night drops um, and probably cold during the day. But yeah, so I would think biologically Mexican black king snakes probably need that, but he's flat out said, I produce a bunch of them. Perfect first starter snake. He did that whole diatribe. So we know that that's a taxa that he's, breeding without any kind of major temperature drop. So um, I have every, like, literally, I just was like Mr. Burn Fingers after hearing all this stuff. I'm like, we're doing master's degrees on this stuff. Like, we're literally, <laughs> this is not something that I'm going to just be like, oh, well, because uh, I want to know the answer. I want to know, like, do you get that hormone cascade we talked about? Yeah. without the temperature because the scientists have done the studies and they show which we talked about in the episode that the temperature drop is the main thing that elicits the freaking response but in herbiculture, culture right. we're not dropping the temperature so then you got to think about this a little bit more these are not necessarily the snakes i'm talking about from those journal articles because the snakes i'm talking about from those journal articles are being plucked out of the wild correct we have animals that are in domestication and we're breeding the ones that make it and the ones that don't don't and we might actually be breeding this process right. out of them through selective breeding, which is really kind of interesting. For sure, right? Think but then about. the question just becomes how many generations does it exactly. take for that to be significant? I, I would, in my mind, I feel like there's no question that we're artificially selecting for a simplification or an yeah, easing 100%. of that cycle for the reproduction. Yeah. But but no, so no, I'm 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 all over. And I knew I've I've heard people say I don't brew my roommate my snakes and I, I get more animals you know blah 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 but at the same time the biology based off wild animals clearly demonstrates that they need the camera the temperature cue so then we bring them into into captivity this might be one of the areas where the anthropogenic captive environment is is quite literally changing them and this makes sense because if you look at like a dachshund and a wolf they ain't the same thing. <laughs> and that's a product. Guys. <laughs> that's hanging out with me today. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a product of um, you know, of, of us selectively breeding them. So right. breeding dogs. There's you know. a there's a gentleman locally to me who uh you guys might be familiar with. Uh he used to do the the, the Herp Nation radio with Nick. Um I think his name is Scott Scott Austin. Does that sound right, Eric? Got so, something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's not, he's he's local it's not to Stahl, me. Right? No. Okay. Yeah, I might have his last name wrong. Scott something. Anyway, he's local to me, and uh, he's uh, a, an infrequent customer of mine at the shop. And and I got to talking to him one day, and that's how I found out who he was. Um, and he's like, "No, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't temperature cycle my Bradley at all." <laughs> like what the hell? Hmm. Like, I'm really? sorry. What? Are you sure? <laughs> uh, he's like, yeah, I, I don't. And and Do he's you know in that an area having... that it does get cold. So like in my head, I'm thinking, okay, maybe you don't intentionally like drop your heat and your stat. But I don't know any of the details about his room or any of that. Um, Scott's and you're saying Scott Waters. 
Um, that might be him. I'm not sure. You guys would know better than I. Um, but yeah, he swears he breeds them without temp cycling them, and I'm like, what? The no. Well, Duncan Wagnalls. What? There are <laughs> triggers that we have no clue are triggers. A hundred percent. Yeah. Absolutely and, no way we know all the triggers. We can and, think we know the triggers, but if you know the animals, you can't be that arrogant. There's something going on that they are. And up even on. when we're not intentionally <laughs> manipulating the temperatures, yeah. just by virtue of outsides temperatures fluctuating, yes. there's not enough insulation in the average household or whatever to prevent any sort of barometric pressure or anything from getting through to those animals. They are finely tuned. Yeah. biological things that can pick that up so yeah and, and i've heard people talk about how like well when you're when they're in a house the house is sealed off and they're not feeling those barometric pressure changes and anybody that gets a headache when storms roll in that's yeah. inside <laughs> is directly feeling the impact of those barometric mm-hmm. pressure changes. we talked about that a, last week yeah. like yeah unless we're you're not, living yeah. in a cabin pressure controlled airplane fuselage (laughs) your your roof is not fixing pressure (laughs) you know me me and rob talk about this all the time and it's like you know you have maybe you have i'm just we just make up a number five six seven eight triggers you have to hit three of them in order for this species to breed you have to hit five of them for this species to breed some of them are more you know what i mean yeah i don't know the cosmic octopus yes as we call it (laughs) yeah uh-oh. Yeah, so, yeah. So that's my thoughts on that. No, there's. I Very think. Good. I think even people who don't intentionally manipulate their stuff, their their animals are picking it up wherever you live. Some places more dramatic than others, of course, right? Like more, mm-hmm. more northerly and southerly hemisphere, spheric areas probably get much more dramatic swings than stuff closer to the I equator. Think- yeah, I think what what kind of triggered my thought with that was is like it seems like more and more. I, I'm assuming Zach, you go through this too, but it seems like we don't have fall or spring yeah. anymore. Well, it's just winter, and then it's summer. <laughs> you know, it's so hot and it's cold. So is that affecting? Interesting wild fact: in the '80s, that is exactly what the climatologist predicted was going to happen. Now, so ah. the, the most drastic, from an ecological perspective, climate. Climate change is not going to Im- impact your your two primary seasons as much as it's going to impact your transition seasons. Mm-hmm. Right. And the, tra- the the impact it's, it was predicted to have is the elimination of transition seasons. Mm-hmm. And that's why mm-hmm. animals don't evolve to have triggers that are based off of, like, weather. A lot mm-hmm. of animals have evolved. Daylight hitting retinas tells them it's March or February or January because – we can have whatever, however warm it wants to be on J- December 28th this year in Wheeling, West Virginia. I think that was our day. It got up to 70, which is completely unheard of. Yeah. Right. Um, the amount of light that was hitting the earth at this latitude was the same as it was for the past umpteen million right. years. Right. So, so. Uh, it, but the, the, the fun fact is like, well, what the hell is that going to do to all these animals at temperate latitudes that require these triggers as part of the reproduction? That was exactly what I wanted to to lead into mm-hmm. today is is kind of expand on the idea of in our changing world. And if you don't believe that it's changing, you may kindly go read a book and then return <laughs> to this podcast. Um, but uh, in in that future scenario that we are staring down the barrel of, what do you foresee happens to species that require these seasonal shifts in temperature uh, to cycle properly. Are we going to see reduced reproduction in your opinion in species where 
they do need to be cold and perhaps they are not getting cold enough or for long enough under a new uh, a, a new era of climate and um, and also just you know of course highlighting the the point that it's all happening too fast yeah for adaptation to to occur um, you know it, it's happening at a rate where they aren't just going to be able to be like, all right, don't need that anymore in a half a generation. It, yeah. <clears throat> there have been plenty of studies that have already started looking at this with different animal groups. And and th this is why it's important to have population variability. So in a given population of animals, you got you have some that are going to breed at cooler temperatures. You have some that aren't going to breed until they're at warmer temperatures. And then you got the middle part of the of the population that's going to kind of breed in the Goldilocks zone. Okay, as that Goldilocks zone shifts one way, what ends up happening is if it ends up shifting warm, which was this way, I think it's going to shift towards warm. Now, warm is going to become average and it's not going to become an extreme. So what we end up seeing is that you, you see like initial declines in some species, but then evolution shows up. Fitness does a round that we talk about, and we're going to see adaptations to evolve at these warmer temperatures. So, uh, but it's not going to happen overnight, like you said, and there might be some taxa that just can't do it, like, right. that, you know, so we don't know right. what the overall I, response is going to be, but like, I know, a, sorry, go there ahead. Was a, there was a study done with, um, and all animals are going to respond to climate change in totally different ways. Exactly. So yeah. There was a paper done with rattlesnakes in California. I think that was last year where they literally modeled the effect of climate change on, um, organis, I think it was. Okay. And it basically said as california warms up as long as we don't all cook in a fire we're gonna it's it, like the world is becoming beautiful for rattlesnakes that's mm -hmm. what the the conclusion was <laughs> but like okay you know so like this is a species that's going to benefit <clears throat> to go back to my crayfish world they did the exact same climactic scenario for all north american crayfishes all uh you know we have over 400 of them here and they basically determined climate change isn't really a now i'm going to be very careful how i say this <laughs> it is not a major threat. That does not mean it's not a threat. Okay. Because when you look at where the crayfishes live, they live at low elevation, high elevation, and they got a variation of temperature. So they'll be able to kind of fluctuate with that. Where you mm -hmm. see the most impact is in like our extreme habitats. Exactly. Um, and yeah. that's when everybody knows this, you know, how many people have watched tv and then sarah mclaughlin comes on and there's a like starving floating polar bear like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason why you an empty see... coke can yeah exactly species that cannot <laughs> migrate to yeah. higher elevations or latitudes yeah, they can't th there is no goldilocks zone because if you think about those animals they're all over here at a far end that's the goldilocks zone so uh but the bigger issue with climate change is with like organisms we don't even think about like plants um everybody thinks about the animals uh Plants are kind of the redheaded stepchildren of biology, and yeah, you know, if we don't have them, we kind of die. So there's that. Uh, but it's, yeah, but it's the but that's where the real danger comes because with the climatic changes, that's what determines like whether you're in a rainforest or a subtropical dry forest. And with these climate changes, you change the precipitation. Now you've got dry forests moving into rainforests. The forest community shifts. And now all those tropical reptiles, doesn't matter where they have, like they can't live there. So now you see the ext extirpation. So that's like 
where the, the main focus should be is on that the habitat. Yeah, it's, no, broader it's not scale. necessarily on like individual tax. That's the danger in, in climate change is the quite literal shift and elimination of these these habitats, which then leads to everything else dying. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. So, yeah, perhaps a, a, a very good time to look into buying real estate on uh, Greenland <laughs> or Antarctica <laughs> for yeah. when it is the nice cool. 70 degree so, suburban paradise. I find this show to be very ironic. This is actually something that I was, I, I was sitting on my, the, the, the my coffee angle. Yeah. Well, not, not so on the Weather Channel, <laughs> they have a show now about finding gold in Greenland. Uh-oh. And the whole premise to the show is this was all ice. And it, there's no more ice. Virgin ground, baby. No one's ever gotten gold. And I'm kind of like, isn't that a weird show to put on the weather? Ch-? Like, it's literally yeah. like, <laughs> celebrating. The ice is gone. Babe, like, get the shovel. <laughs> but anyway. If we tell them there's gold here, well, yeah. they won't pay attention to the fact that the earth is dying. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the, the irony is abound. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you guys watch uh, Don't Look Up before we oh, go on yes. the plants? That was yes, so yeah. good. Catch that? Good movie. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of irony in that movie with today's society. It was oh, yeah. very, very insightful. But anyway, oh, plants. Yeah. <laughs> is that why the BBC is about to put out uh, another uh, like a Planet Earth series with plants? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'll tell you what. But, yeah. but I don't know if you guys have ever seen the Life. I think it was Life, the, the Life series where they yes. did the plants. Yep. Oh, yeah. Crap, it's amazing. Yeah. Cool. No, you know? the problem with plants is that they're doomed to hold our attention. I can't <laughs> yeah. keep I can't keep my students to focus for like a minute. You got to do everything like in, in super fast time like, lapse. Yeah, exactly. Plants aren't sexy. Plants aren't yeah. sexy. Yeah. You do that Until you see an awesome time lapse of like a fern, like <laughs> going from like yeah. an icicle to back to green, and then all of a sudden just life. You're like. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. 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 Um, the plants are, yeah, I agree. Plants are super underrated. We've got a whole wall of fish tanks at the shop, and I seeded all the sumps with pothos. Nice. I went into the back to, to clean one day just to, like, kind of go through some stuff, and the vines have jumanji themselves <laughs> yeah. into this rope of, like, it's like an inch thick. Like I can't cut through it and it's going to, and it's coming out the side and the stalk looks like it's growing every day and there's huge leaves and it's going to take over the whole fish room. And I love it. Cause it's just thriving off all the, the phosphorus and the, the ammonia and all the crap in the sump and everything cool. from the fish and people love it. And I think, uh, ironically enough, as the planet is dying faster and faster every day, as we're killing it, the reptile hobby is becoming more and more enthusiastic about, the bioactive plant yeah, natural right. keeping side of things it's this total like let's murder our planet and put little slices of it in our living room <laughs> well i i don't think that's uh not, i i think that's correlated i don't think that's non mm-hmm. non-correlated but uh yeah plants are definitely a blind spot in terms of of our admiration for them but also like all the discussion about endangered species endangered plant species probably dwarf the amount of established endangered yes. animals oh, and just nobody notices it's you know like you mm-hmm. your garden like what percentage of your front yard is supposed to be there or Maybe every less species than that's endemic to the island of madagascar <laughs> right like yeah, every like island species. species 
you know, all yeah, the invasive yeah. species too. Yeah. You think of mm-hmm. like it would drive me absolutely insane. And Zach, you'll remember these days earlier in your career when you did environmental consulting. But when mm-hmm. I had to keep a list, a log of every endangered plant species I saw on a site in a day, oh, I gave up. I ran yeah. out of paper and I gave up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like it's French broom, Scottish yeah. broom, 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 so much broom. It's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. But yeah, I don't know. Out of sight, out of mind, I guess, with plans. Well, not out of sight, but nobody get, nobody gives a shit, like you're saying. Yeah. 99% of people aren't smart enough to discern species of plants, so. I'm not either. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah, well, no. I'm not. I'm not saying I am, but there are people <laughs> who have done the work, and there are dichotomous keys, and there are ways to figure this out. Yeah. Well, so the, the thing about we can we can segue to herping because if you understand plants, here's what plants tell you as a naturalist slash herper slash you call it whatever you are. Plants are intimately honed into microhabitats. So if you learn, if you're reading a book about a lizard in the desert southwest, and you learn that it needs, you know, a certain amount of moisture, a certain amount of humidity, and, and blah blah blah, and then you learn the plant that needs that same amount of humidity. If you if you're out herping and you start looking for the giant plant where the little lizard lives, you can massively cut down, you know, be more efficient in the field because then you're just bouncing from bush to bush to bush, and you know not all bushes are created equal. Over here Absolutely. in the east, yeah. we have salamanders. That's where like everybody knows snakes for me, but my very close second behind them are salamanders. Uh, and there's several species of salamanders that live here in Appalachia where. You, you learn, okay, this thing called elephant ear, which is a type of um, lichen. It technically isn't a plant, but whatever. Yeah. It responds to the amount of moisture. So when the elephant ear is out on the rock face, that's when you look for green salamanders. And when it's not out, you don't look for green salamanders that day. Mm-hmm. And when I was in grad school, we would go on all these freaking trips to find damn green salamanders. And we're climbing mountains and doing all this shit. And we're like, they have to be here. The rocks are here. Well, because the elephant ear wasn't out, we I, I figured out inevitably that like that is the total indicator of whether the neonates are going to be out near the opening of the crevice or way back down in the rocks because they mm. need a certain window of That's amazing of humidity. But like yeah. you learn those little little cues, um, and it makes you just a better herper. Wow. That's it's awesome. funny you say yeah. that. I bu- I bought this book. It's called How to Read Nature. For that exact reason, uh-huh. you know? there you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's great. No, oh, man. Uh, around here when the serviceberry trees <laughs> bloom, um, I know that queen snakes have come out. That that is, they are tied, like literally tied. Um, we we yeah. we usually find that we get our first peak in captures right around that time period because the the trees are cued into the exact same environmental cue that the snakes uh, cued into, which is basically. All right, it's springtime, but it, we need to have a certain number of degree days, i.e. it needs to be warm during the day, cold during the night. When they get that right combination, they bloom. That also is what the snakes are looking for to leave the hibernacula. Mm-hmm. So, wow. you know, but but learning how to read all that stuff and everything, like they don't, we don't talk about that on herping forums. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, but that's just what comes with experience, you know, and, and broadening your horizons a little bit to look at other things. Yeah. Yeah. And everything's connected. Right. I mean, that's why like when when folks tell me that they're gung ho about 
birds that you know like mm-hmm. i'm not but i bet you could connect these dots and and you can always learn something from something else yeah. in one environment yeah, yeah. totally yeah, if you want to learn about a species, then also look at what their prey species is. Yeah. Follow what they're doing and you know, and then you go down another rabbit hole and <laughs> Oh yeah, it's endless. It never ends. You're like, what? Yep. Uh that's great. No, it's good it's stuff. Fun. Oh, sorry. I was reading the <laughs> Yeah. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I was reading this uh doing bonsai. Mm-hmm. The plant the plant side of things is really interesting. I think it gets overlooked in a big way in the snake world because most people are putting together a small closed system for their animals. And by small, I'm not saying everyone's keeping them in tiny little boxes, but like even a lavish enclosure for a snake is still a closed system. Uh, yeah. By closed system, I mean you're not getting... Uh, nutrient soil exchange, light exchange, all the things that nature provides to, to kind of keep that cycle turning over and healthy. So it's it's one of those things where like in the hobby, snake keepers are like, well, my snake's just going to flatten it. They're not going to do it all unless we're talking like chondros or something to stay up, stay up off the ground. Other facets of the hobby really util- utilize it to their benefit. Dart frog keepers, um, any frog keepers, gecko keepers, things like that. I mean, at work, I've got a, a couple tanks with ferns and all sorts of stuff growing all over the place. I can't even see the frogs until I've sat in there and missed the, the enclosure for a good two, three minutes. And then they're like, okay, we're getting on foods coming. And then they run up to the front and I can see yeah. them and feed them because that's what they're used to. Um, it's very different as far as our application to snakes, but it's one of those things that because we don't, do it in our enclosures here we don't think about it we don't see yeah. it it's out of sight out of mind until you go herping or until you work with the different taxa that that is sort of just something that comes with the territory essentially you, you i mean let's be real you can't just throw a dart frog in a tank with paper and a water bowl and like it's good it's it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> it's got room it's wet it's the right temperature there's a water bowl you know like it's not the same so until you start you know kind of opening your doors to all those other things it's one of those things that is very much out of sight out of mind and until you start experimenting with it or throwing a light on that animal or throwing something in there you just don't think about it and i think nowadays with podcasts and everything right at our disposal everybody's sort of experimenting figuring yeah. all this this cool stuff out and I think uh, there's, I mean, there's a lot more questions coming up, but that's great because that means, you know, more, uh, what, do they, what do they call it? More job security, more, more hobby yeah. security, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, more and more avenues to explore. So, yeah, I, I have, so my favorite plant on planet earth is pothos. I love yep. it to death. Yep. Um, Cause it will get to the absolute, ver- like I've looked at pothos before and been like, there's dead and then there's you <laughs> and then <laughs> and i take that thing out of an enclosure and i soak it for a day or two it's almost like just seeing if it will come back and they always seem to come always back. you can't so kill pothos i i started at, at home with i have a whole bunch of animal plastics i think they're t15s i don't know what the hell they are they're they're four foot long by two foot deep and i think they're 15 inches tall they're like more than a foot but they're not I don't think probably T10s. T10s, that's it. Um, And uh, I have a wall of them in my office. 
and I have a, a bunch of like colubrids that are more dainty, not the big heavy body guys. Like I tried keeping them with false water cobras, and that was laughable once they became the giant behemoths that they are now. But I have them in with my Barons racers, and I have the Pothos in with uh, Nerodia, and I have them in with garter snakes, and I even have them in with some um, king snakes. And I finally figured out like how to keep them alive as far as the keeper error of me forgetting that it is a plant that requires water, which is a problem. <laughs> and at the same time, making it so that the, the, the snakes don't just slither them to death. Yep. And uh, what I started to do is I would just buy the $7 cheapo Pothos plant at Walmart or Lowe's. And then at Lowe's in particular, where they have the house plants, they have these clear plastic water dishes. Yep. And I get the dish that's like way bigger than the actual pot. The pot's like that diameter and the dishes are like a foot across and about three or four inches tall. And then what I have done in all their enclosures is I have uh, reptile basics hides that are black plastic. And I, I put the hide in a corner. Um, and then I put that water dish on top of the hide, put the pothos in there and fill that dish up with water. And that is almost always underneath a light. And that system, I only have to add water to the plant once every two or three weeks, which means when I forget to water the damn thing, that, that soil is so saturated, it gives it another two weeks before it dries out. So I'm able to keep up with it. But using that real simple strategy, um, my cages look like awesome because the pothos naturally does the thing. And I threw yeah. a whole bunch of branches and um, different size diameter branches in there. Uh, and, and the pothos is going up and around and dropping down the air roots, which is cool. And I've also noticed that the snakes absolutely use that stuff as cover. So, like, mm -hmm. the bear and I, it's really cool to watch them in that. I have one blue female in one of these things. She will only go where the vines are. Like, when she leaves the main pot, the, the plant is wow. where she hangs out during the day. But she'll, mm -hmm. like, slither out. And the, the, the main, like you said, the Jumanji effect, all the vines yeah. kind of coalesce they, to one area. They find each other. Yeah, they find each other. And yeah. <laughs> but the snake is like queuing in on a natural behavior, and mm -hmm. it's just so incredibly badass to look in that cage and watch the snake doing like what it would be doing in Paraguay. And yeah. that, when I keep, that's what I want to do. I don't care how other people keep, but I, that's what I want to see in my animals. And the Nerodia, they do the same. Nerodia love light, like they love to bask. Um, and I give them the option to like they can bask, they have a hide that's the same thing black hide box pothos in the water dish and i keep all my males because they're smaller in one enclosure and they're never in the damn hide they're always in the pothos and they've actually burrowed down into the dirt of the pothos plant and so they're actually like in the root wad of the hmm. pothos which is really interesting because i've totally found them that you know <laughs> huh. doing that in that's nature. cool so they're not even using the damn hide. i mean i've even con contemplating just getting rid of the hide but it adds some complexity to the enclosure, so it's probably going to stay. Um, but no, that really easy setup, I've been able to keep them alive. Uh, but you're right. It's not made for everything. I tried with the enclosures that are here in my office. The big water cobras are, like, right there. And I thought, okay, I'll have nice big display enclosures. Yeah, the fly. only thing that you can decorate with a false water cobra enclosure with is something that's already dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because they're going to quickly make it dead because they yeah. never stop. No. Uh, moving they were just obliterating the the i tried a lot you want of plants. plants in there you're you're stuck with yeah. fake plants for sure yes. mm -hmm. yeah i tried I, uh, it failed i failed miserably i had uh, a a nice 
really overgrown pothos plant in an enclosure for a ball python at the zoo out here. This is a 42-year-old animal that has, like, liver failure and everything. Yeah. Dude would hide in the pothos plant when I let it get overgrown, and then I'd trim it, and one day and I'd catch him up on, like, a branch, like, three feet up, like, mm -hmm. dangling down like a chondro. But he would always hide in this pothos plant. Yeah. I just... I just literally kept it in the pot, stuck it in with a bunch of stuff. It had soil beneath it, so the, the roots that grew out could still attain yeah. nutrients, and it just went bananas. It was crazy. Mm -hmm. No, so I, I can't say good enough good things about pothos. And if you keep monkey tail skinks, they can eat it. Yes, they do. Yeah. That's the oh, like yeah. the one the one reptile you can feed that to, as far as I know. Somebody could, you know, chime in and say there's a another subspecies, but uh or species that, that does, but yeah, that's like their favorite treat. It's endemic to their islands, they love it. It's a great way to make friends with an angry monkey tail. Yes. <laughs> they can be quite angry too. They yeah, can be. I have some very bad scars from monkey tails. <laughs> When they're I angry, have... it's just the face they make is terrifying too. I, I, mm -hmm. there's something with the eyes. I don't trust the eyes. I absolutely love them. We have one at the shop that's been there for, well, Lucas, do you remember when we got that group in? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we still have the the grouchy one. Good. <laughs> he's fine with me. I pull him out. He's great with me. He bites anybody else. He's like super upset. I might have to take him home. I guess. Just, nah. Yeah. He's awesome, dude. I love him. I think it's a male anyway, mm -hmm. but uh, so what do we got here? We yeah, gotta... I think you answered this question, but sure. Well, you, you can do a modified version. It's not bioactive, but it's a cleanup crew. So uh, I have used um, super worms <clears throat> for my cleanup crew. So I went to a show, bought a thousand of them, came here in Pittsburgh, which is right up the road from me. And then stopped off at school before I got home and was literally like throwing fistfuls of superworms into the false water cover <laughs> enclosures. Um, I don't even know how many were in there, but I had we had a raging superworm colony uh, in their cages and the snakes just did not give a crap. So whenever the beetles mm -hmm. would show up, we would grab those and we breed our own superworms. Nice. nice. But uh, but when they become adults, um, the piles of poo are bigger than a toddler's like it's impressive they don't smell good I, no they don't I, I literally had a grad student today come down or sorry i ran into her and she was like i couldn't get it all into one hand i'm like what are you talking about she's like it crap so much it took two hands to get it out of there i was like yeah yeah and that's our great big um that's one of our seven foot females so when they're little wow. you can but when they become big yeah mm -hmm. oh no they're they're next level oh, yeah. <laughs> i um yeah i just tried to overhaul my falsy keeping and i did like I this mix of well so like the big one's going well that i just upgraded the girl to a bigger enclosure but the male i just changed the substrate to a mix of um like reptis soil uh, uh what's it called uh eco earth cocoa yep. stuff some play sand and some sphagnum and i don't know just made like a mix with leaf litter and stuff like that and within like two days it was too overrun with an entire ant colony that i had to pull oh. all out and oh. put them on paper towels yeah. until the ants go away so and that oh. didn't work out for me yeah, <laughs> just you... like when i tried to do that with my green tree mm -hmm. something about where you live has bad population of ants i think it, yeah the ants are terrible yeah. yeah so sad sad for me <laughs> sad face 
Hmm. Yeah, yeah, false water cobras. What a cool snake. <laughs> yeah. I want more. <laughs> I worked with them in, in Santa Barbara. They're they're fun. Um by the time I was on staff there, they only had a male. He bred the female to death. She broke it back. Sounds right. <laughs> yeah. I've since learned that that's not uncommon. Um we had him in a huge enclosure. I, I that thing was like five feet tall. Had to have gone nine feet long. And it had kind of a taper. So the entryway was like three and a half feet. And then it narrowed to like two and a half feet by the end. There was a built-in concrete pool. And we would pull him for cleaning because he would go to the bathroom in the pool. But he had a he had a big log that he could drape across. And occasionally he would bask under some UVB. Um, we had bark in there that he would burrow around. But... He was fun, man. He was he was a great animal. Tons of personality, very lively, yeah. very on display. Uh, always ate, um, <laughs> always <know>. left <laughs> absolutely foul, foul fecal deposits twice a week. Yes. That room. and and when I was the uh, when I was the apprentice, I was always the guy hopping into the enclosure and having to squat and put my butt right up against the glass and like hose out the pool while on display in the zoo while it's open so <laughs> guests are coming up and poke me in the butt and i'm like yeah, clean. yeah it's a good time good times that's, yeah. that's what false water cobras elicit for me memory wise is being ridiculed in the public and cleaning crap out of a pool there you go yeah. like so fun. now i have crebos yeah i'm not sure what's worse yeah. no well it's funny because there's always this like the, the in the colubrid world there's this weird competition that exists <laughs> between hydrodynasties and Drymarkin. Like, are, are the we... foulest poops? Yeah, and and, yeah. and the competitions are weird because it's like which one's crap smells the worst, which one produces the the worst, you know, fecal mm-hmm. display. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. Yeah, um, I've been I seeing have... that too. Now that I'm in the yeah. indigo world a little bit. Yeah. Well, yeah. I have yellow tails here, and I have the hydrodynasties in my then that, and we have black tails here. Um, and I would say like the, my experience is the Kribos produce something that looks like pudding. I don't yeah. explain that. Yeah. The, the, the <laughs> water Cobras is more solid, but it's just, in my opinion, like much more foul. Yeah. So, yes. Well, yeah. I think Kribos are not as bad uh, as what people say. No. Mm. I, I, I think the, uh, the diet plays a, a role too. You know, if you're yeah. feeding your water Cobras more than just rodents, Yes. Just adding fuel to that fire of stench. <laughs> I will say See, that the feeding of fish is way overplayed. Like, I don't think it, it makes things that dramatically awful. It's it's already bad to begin with. I don't know anybody <laughs> who's like, oh, great. That snake shit smells wonderful. Like, that's, yeah. that's just not a thing on right. the best day. So, right. like, yeah. if you're getting to fish feeding and you're like, oh, my God, where have I been? Like, yeah, really, where have you been? Mm-hmm. You're cleaning the snake crap. The only so, thing yeah. that I thought was gross is that I got a bunch of frog legs. I don't know mm. what the hell was different about the frog legs, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I knew I did something bad with the frog legs because I am, un- unfortunately for my wife, she has the best nose of anyone I've ever met in my life. <laughs> and I, I don't smell anything. I'm nose blind to literally everything. And uh, I know when it's bad when I like walk through the door and she's waiting for me in the kitchen. Because our... <laughs> You can see straight into our kitchen, and she'll literally be like, "What did you do?" Like, okay. <laughs> and uh, I got one of those 
And she's like, I know nothing's dead, but that can't be alive either. And I'm like, what are you <laughs> talking about? And and it was it was the week that I got the um mm. I, I was able to order a whole bunch of pre-killed bullfrogs, but they were the whole frog, which was like awesome. Oh, and they were frozen for like nice. days, weeks. So uh and I was like a one and done. They sent them to our um, local fish shop and they ordered frog legs. They didn't order frogs. So when they got right. the whole frogs, they're like, we can't sell these. Um, right. So I bought them all. But after that, yeah, no more frogs. So when I did the frog <laughs> legs, I didn't have a problem. When uh, yeah. you remember, I had a bunch of bullfrogs too yeah. from an eradication project. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't, it might have been my animals, might have been those bullfrogs, might have been the fact the frogs were frozen. I don't know. My, uh, my falsies also just won't take trout. I hear people yeah. talking all the time about them loving the trout treat. I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, for, oh, for trout. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're all fickle. That's one of the things that's great about them is mm -hmm. that like we, we talk in generalities, but I, all of my animals have their own, their own quirks. Every single one of them. I have a yeah. male that will not eat from August until April. And he's going to get to the point where he looks like he's a skeleton with skin on it. And then he eats like incessantly until the end of July. And then he shuts off again. Wow. Like, what? And, and I have tried everything. Under the sun to get him not to do that, and, and it's it's just him. Um, <laughs> that's just what he does, and that's one of the fun things about that species to me is that there's like a generality to them. But if you actually have like more than one, you you quickly learn their quirks. They absolutely have quirks. You talked about personalities. That's exactly what I'm talking. We have my big female that I have. Uh, one of the two, one of the three that I have that's pretty big. The biggest of them all is literally like a dog, like. I open up the, the cage door to let her cruise my office. And she just sticks like 18 inches of her head out of the, the cage. And she just hangs there for like <laughs> the whole freaking day. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, she just, you know, she doesn't want to leave, I guess. I mean, she has the choice. She can leave. She couldn't. I got another one above her, another big female. I have to be careful because when I open the door, she has the worst feeding response of any animal. I don't know why she's above my head. I think about this all the time. I talk about it because I've almost gotten hit in the neck like three times. Uh, like, down, that Do a little rotation. Yeah, she's out. And then she's yeah. going to zoom around this office. She just doesn't stop moving for mm -hmm. like hours. Uh, so like saying, so that's when you start talking about enclosures for them. I don't really think there's like the ideal enclosure. I think you got to learn the animal yeah. and then figure out well, what's the ideal enclosure for this particular snake um right that, that's one something that active i mean it's going to yeah. use every inch you give it mm -hmm. regardless of the personality mm -hmm. at some yeah. point of the day it's going to explore yeah for sure exactly for sure yeah and i mean i've noticed that at least my my two falsies seem to be pretty adept at climbing as well so oh, yeah. I, you know why not they climb all the time really yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. okay so that's they've got an edge on the kribos in that regard my kribos are great at falling oh. <laughs> <laughs> one they, of our build-in upstairs we have branches yeah and they will go eight feet up into the branches and um lay right underneath those heat lamps and it, they give me a heart attack all of, these are my great big breeder males they, they, they live together <laughs> because i'll go in and do a quick glance in the enclosure and we have it set up so that i can even see into the hides and i'm like oh god they're gone and then <laughs> i can't see up so i'm like looking here everywhere and then i invariably will open like go open the door open the door get in that enclosure and like multiple times i spook them and then boom six feet of false <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I'm like, okay, you're cool, dude. <laughs> you're here. That's yeah. a lot. <laughs> I've, I've got a nice big tall uh, four by two by two for my female Kribo, and she'll use this log that goes all the way up, but she she doesn't like climb per se. She kind of goes and rests her head up, and that's about it. Yeah. My male's in a six foot vision, and I frequently hear him uh, often on recordings like this going up on this lip that vision cages have right here. And <laughs> falling and shaking the entire stack yeah every seven and a half feet of him is like boom like, dude you it's been eight years you still haven't learned you suck at climbing well this Stay will down. tell you something so i'm gonna move my monitor but if you look that framed picture right there my diploma and then yeah. this exo so when i let the water cobras cruise the office they can go wherever they want okay and I was typing one day and one of my students came in the office and they were like, whoa. And I was like, what did I do? And they're like, the snake. And I turned around and this <laughs> 10 foot, or sorry, not 10 foot, 10 pound, eight foot long female false water cobra was draped over that picture of a hydra <laughs> on the damn diploma and was like looking down at me. Nice. So, there are these giant beastly animals, but they are, you know, yeah, yeah. Sounds like, sounds like they're much the better climbing on there. This is crazy. <laughs> That's and then amazing. when I went to grab her, though, she freaked out and then like crashed the. <laughs> I would have just like sat there; it would have been fine. But no. But then she kept doing it. She got caught in a loop, and that's where she wanted to be. Was up on the wall. It was crazy. <laughs> Do you ever get oh. that on your like from undergrads on your rate your professor page? Like very nice guy, but oh. let snakes run loose on campus. Like, <laughs> I haven't gotten that yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. Well, what is fun with them, though, because they're all in my office, and I don't know why we keep going back to poo, but it's just part of all season, <laughs> is that I'll be here, like, meeting with a student, and the biology kids, they don't have any problem coming in here. They normally come in, and they look at the animals. Every now and then, you know, we might have somebody that isn't inclined towards animals that's kind of gun-shy, but if I have, like, non-science people have to come into the office, that's a... That's fun because they won't <laughs> breach the doorway because this whole wall is snakes. Like that's what you should record all of those meetings. Well, <laughs> but I, one time I, I I convinced somebody to come in here to like have a meeting. They sat down, and I'm here like working, and then all of a sudden you like the the kid is like sitting there like terrified, like not knowing what's <laughs> about to happen. I'm like, you can relax. They're all contained. It's all okay. And then I'm working, and then one of the water cobras just craps. And when they crap, it sounds like a person. So you just hear like this. And the kid like went up like this. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. Well, apparently when I said like, oh, I'm sorry, she interpreted it as that was me. <laughs> and I was like, like what's wrong? And she's like, do you need to go to the bathroom? Like, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. It was a snake. And then that's, that's when she was like, they do that? And like, you know, mind opening experience so having the animals in here is nothing but awesome because i get to experience stuff like that but the, the, the people that are That's in here all great. the time know they're gonna make noises they're gonna smell like ass uh, but they're also not leaving because i want them in here more than you so you know that's the way that's going <laughs> so anyway man i listen to all these podcasts and they you know it, whenever you listen to different podcasts and they're talking about different species and they every you know you get all excited about the species and you're like oh that would be cool maybe to keep them and then i learn about this poo problem and i'm like <laughs> oh no yeah <laughs> <I'm good." laughs> yep exactly <laughs> mm -hmm. fair enough yeah. yep oh man Just blame it all on the colubras yeah 
Well, like Although Chad those... said, they eat once and they crap twice. I think that's mm-hmm. uh, the <laughs> yeah. analogy. Of that is very true. Mm-hmm. I don't mind the poop, yeah. though. You no. know, just it's worth it, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. How the indigos, Lucas? Oh, man. They're freaking great. That's what I was just going to say. Like, yes, you're going to have to deal with uh, the poop, but you're also going to get so much out of, say, a dry mark on or a falsy that you're just never going to get out of a carpet, you know, and vice versa. You know, the same is true. The inverse is true. But I love both. Um, Right. And, uh, you know, it's it's so fun for me right now to um, really experiment, like decking out a more naturalistic setup for the falsy as she gets bigger. Um, you know, she, she outgrew a three by two pretty damn quick. Like you, <laughs> you talk about Zach, they, they are not slow growers. So, you know, and, and also just offering a, a variety of different prey, which you can do to carpets to an extent, but you know, it, it's not, not like the colubrids, yeah. not when you get no. two cracks a week yeah. and trying something different, you know? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's so fun. And the Very indigos, different. I love the indigos. <laughs> Indigos yeah. would be one that I would take the plunge. Uh, I've always yeah. liked them since I was a kid. The TA that I said it, I forget what podcast I was talking on, but the old TFH book. Yes. Uh snakes as pets or something like that i think it was called yeah and like you would open it up and there's a rainbow boa a red tail boa which you never saw and you know in like the early 80s you know yeah. and then the indigo is in there i was like whoa look yeah. at that you know? yeah no uh, oh, they're they're was... just inherently jaw-dropping and i guess i really you know just have a thing for really visually cued in snakes you know yeah um, very present animals watch you as much as you watch them right it's it's yeah. hard to beat it's hard to beat i'm a hundred percent a python guy at heart i will never not have carpet pythons yeah as long as i can uh at the same time i could not see my collection not having dry mark on yeah yeah you 100%. know it's got just a different itch right it does. And yeah. I'm very much one of those people that's like, okay, well, I'll take a, a, like dip a toe into something. Mm-hmm. And if I like it, then I'm like, okay, I need everything. hundred <laughs> percent off the cliff. Like gone, <laughs> gone. Uh, I've, I've had my pair of black tails for, well, I've had the pair for seven years, but I, I got my first one nine years ago. And yeah, I just, uh, it's always been a thing like, yep, I think one day I'll need all of those unicolors, yep. yellowtails, uh, the rudest, the uh, everything, Easterns, all of it. Uh, give me all six and I'll take like four of each, please. Yeah. And then, yeah, you, you know, you just sign yourself up for like a lifetime of, <laughs> I need an outbuilding, I need a warehouse, I need a garage <laughs> conversion and all the steps in between. Thank you. Yes. Here's right. My, here's my 100%. wallet. And I would just say too, you know, get a get a blackhead rally. It's kind of the Python version of Dry Marcon in a way. Uh, you know, man, it's uh it's not out of the realm of possibilities. They're not quite be... as bright, but <laughs> well, they're more trustworthy than the Womas, I'll tell you that. Yeah, that's a fact. My yeah. Womas now are not trustworthy. 
your your two at home. Mm-hmm. They they grew up. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah, they yeah, do the that. Females they do little, that. Females a little <laughs> asshole. I'm like you <laughs> can go on timeout permanently. Mm-hmm. I'll go Don't trust them with the tongs. Head. They'll they'll swallow yeah. them. Yeah. Shout out to Owen. He he likes the asshole snakes. And if he it misses bites his him, and, I'm sure. You know, yeah, See, sure I does. I like I like the Womas though. Like I'm used to that. Like I I got my like Python inception with Womas. Like I I let one bite my old director boss and a few other people, <laughs> and I was like, whoops! I guess he's not ready. Yeah, <laughs> kept going and and mastered that animal. Uh, and now I just have an affinity for them. I you know I would really love. Like I said earlier, I'm a complete the set kind of guy. So. Um, you know, next thing is, is to, to get a house for what I have. But the other problem is I keep just going down all these rabbit holes. All you people are just yeah. bad for me. Like Eric, <laughs> Eric, yeah. you and Nipper are really bad for me. I went down the stroke. Oh, yeah. first, I went down the stroke yeah, the first rabbit thing. hole. I don't even have the fucking animals and I'm already, <laughs> I'm already $400 deep into a cage build and like foam car multiple weeks into this shit. And like, here we I go. He was this, you know, this, uh, he was a North American snake guy, all yeah. rattlesnakes and all this stuff. And now he's like a gecko nut <laughs> with rattlesnakes. Yeah. He's like, mate, you broke me, mate. Yeah. <laughs> it's awful. Oh, it's awful. Dear, dear. Oh, man. I need like, I need a, I need like a 4,000 square foot warehouse for every of my like little fixes. Tans. I yeah. need a, a, a one for East Australian. West Australian, <laughs> Central America, South America, like the Andy side, the yeah. the Basin side, like oh well. While we're at it, let's throw a Middle East up there. I've, I've got uh, the Egyptian phase of um, the crocodile geckos, the uh, the Moorish geckos that are all over oh, the place, but they vary based on where they're at. And these ones that I have are are some wild caught adults from the Egypt region. And they remind me of the spider tailed horn vipers. Oh, cool. And I'm like, these things are like spider tail horn vipers in gecko form. I'm like, this is amazing. And now they're breeding for me. I'm like, yeah, this is bad. I need everything from everywhere humanly possible. So yeah. the NPR network serpentarium is what you're saying. We need, yeah, there we go. I need <laughs> like Makers 30 of, of those. I need like 30 of them to complete my, to, to scratch that itch. You know what well, I mean? It's going to might be... stay itchy, brother. Uh, that's I'll die itchy. We'll die itchy. We'll die itchy. Here we go. Good, good. I don't think you can ever actually scratch the itch. That's no, no. It, no. Not a cream I, enough. No. The the beautiful thing no. is there are people everywhere in every facet of this hobby. Even in the the fish keeping, the the plant keeping, the the isopods, the amphibians. There's so much unlimited and unbridled enthusiasm from people in every single sector that you could sit there and say, okay, well, I want to get into something new or I'm going to open my mind to this. And you do it and you'll find like-minded people like us four sitting right yeah. here, but for that own brand of something. And it's hard not to find something contagious and exciting about it. If you were that, that mindset of, of, of individual and, and I have 100% accepted that I have an addictive personality and, and I need everything. I was playing with my Novas. I was playing with my Inlands earlier today. We were, we were, we were ultrasounding Kribos. I was just like, okay, getting in touch with everything. It's like, yep, this is why I need everything of everything humanly yeah. possible. 
You yeah, Riley, you know, what, uh, you know what would actually finally scratch your itch and then you could be done is a uh, hypo stripe bread lie. I can help you. <laughs> <laughs> what do I got to do? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> what is so you want something here? I'll give you something because it ain't money. I, I ain't got that. <laughs> oh, we'll talk. We'll talk. I'm planning a wedding, dude. You can't, I know, but you, you can't, you can't ask me to buy snakes right now. I haven't bought a snake in. Oh, she left. Never mind. She didn't listen to this shit. Um, I, I did. I did buy a corn snake a little while ago, but don't tell her. She doesn't know that. <laughs> but how yeah, many, how many corn snakes do you have now? You yeah, have what you quite a to? bit, right? <laughs> Riley likes oh, man. Corn. 14. Turn and count. 14. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That I remember when fast. you got your first two. Wasn't that like last year? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Nice. But, look, but look how happy it makes yeah. him. You can't I've deny got, Riley the I've corn. I've got a pair of red Zeppelins. <laughs> I've got a pair of uh, some some Okatee Extreme Okatees, and then a, like a smattering of things. I'm, I'm all about the Annery stuff, a, a gold dust stripe. Some blood red and diffused blood red stuff. <laughs> you know, that's <sighs> the crazy thing about herpticulture. Yeah. It's like when you start getting outside of whatever species group that you deal with and you start to like open up to the door to another group of of people that keep a different species that you that you mm -hmm. didn't even know existed. Mm -hmm. And you're like, wow, there's people crazy about this species as I am about, you know, mm -hmm. carpets or, you yeah. know, false water cobras or whatever yeah. it would be. Yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. It's nutty. Um, yeah. And, uh, I, I didn't say, well, we talked about this yesterday with Billy, but, um, Owen now officially has, uh, the Schmidt approved snake, <laughs> the bear. Oh, yeah. snake. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> He's broken now. Yeah, yeah. Broke oh, him. he was broken before. <laughs> he, it was just a matter of time. It, it was one of those things like Jim broke as, him at a young age. He, yeah, he's a colubrid guy. It was just yeah. is it's just a matter of time before that he vein. Is, he is a colubrid guy. Let's be <laughs> real. Let's be he real. No. Owen Snake. He just plays a Python guy on a podcast, yeah. man. If, if I'm gonna yeah. be completely honest, Owen he's Snake is team. is a king snake. <laughs> Owen's a king snake. Yes. Yes, hundred yeah. percent. It just he so happens that like, coastals, coastals are like the king snakes of Australian pythons. Yeah, yeah. Think that about would it. be aspidites. No, think about it. Think about it. I How many forms of it. king snakes do we have <laughs> around uh, yeah. around the country? <laughs> how many forms of coastals are there? And how many different food items has Owen gotten them to eat? Yeah, okay, fish. Quail, rodents. Yeah, I don't know yeah what but else. which ones eat venomous snakes? Well, okay, yeah, they definitely don't do that. But you were both right. It's okay. Uh, but that's Matt, like, yeah. That's I thing. have a question for you. Go for it. So, being, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna change the subject a little bit, if that's okay. Riley, that's were you fine. done? Yeah, I don't yeah. want to be rude. Riley, were you done? Done what? I don't know. Whatever you're saying. There you go. I think yeah. it was done. Go. Cool. <laughs> All right. What did you say? Universal symbol for he's done. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> um, so, you know, with uh, with the the two sides of the Zach Loafman coin, uh, the uh -huh. crayfish in streams, and now the herpticulture stuff that you're doing, what are you most excited about on both sides of your world for 2022? Uh, Is there a specific surviving? project on either end that? <laughs> um. Yeah. I somehow, 
I, I feel like I am extremely blessed because my hobbies are my job. Uh, the part of my job that drives me hobbies. crazy. Yes. It, it's, and it's more like, since it is my job, it's not, and this is, I don't mean for this to sound swanky or arrogant. It's not, but like, I don't view herpetoculture as a hobby um, because it's more than that. Like I view right. stamp collecting and comic book collecting and oh, agreed. collecting. Yeah. yeah. Like, we have talked on this show about how that yeah. word is a problem. I don't like <laughs> right. that word. I think, I think it's more like a discipline or passion. I like passion and discipline way more than hobby. Right. Um, but anyway, uh, but the fact that like the part of my job I don't like is when I have to deal with, like administrative stuff or deal with a kid's bill or deal with <laughs> a kid that doesn't understand why he has to take this class or that class or whatever class, and, you know, that, stuff or with the grants when i have to deal with agencies i'm not going to go down this rant lucas has heard this rant but like <laughs> i know that like like various agencies i'm not going to name them can drive you insane if you're a researcher because you know you're the yeah. guy who knows about the crayfish but yet because you know about the crayfish you have to get x number of permits to go study the crayfish and you got to wait for those permits meanwhile Joe Schmo's out catching the endangered crayfish, bringing them home and eating them <laughs> yeah. while I'm waiting for a piece of paper to go save that crayfish. Joe yeah. Schmo's eating. So like that's that part of the job. Boom. But when we can, when I can just live in my two worlds of crayfish and, and, and herps, herpetoculture, the crayfish side, I'm happy. I'm looking forward to this year because the funding that we have for the lab is awesome because I get to travel a lot. So I'm, I'm going, we're like, we're going to be doing field work in Kentucky. The, I love Kentucky for the record. Oh uh, boy. Kentucky. So um, we're going to be down there. Left we're going to be all over South Carolina and the Savannah river, which is like a herping Mecca. Nice. So like my favorite place to herp are swamps. I know everybody loves like mountains <laughs> oh, yeah. and things, but I love swamps like juicy. cotton mouths and Nerodia, man. I can't, it, it, it would never get that. That's what I want, want to want to find. So we got lots of work there and the crayfish are awesome. Um, we have some crayfish projects where we're going to be naming new species and that's always fun. So, like, the fun thing about the crayfish side of my life is that it challenges me all the time as a scientist, zoologist, and a naturalist. That whole tree thing we were talking about earlier, mm -hmm. uh, like knowing everything, reading the land, all that kind right. of Right. Do that, crap, but that underwater. Kind of yeah. <laughs> so, the, this, the, the work in general is what I'm excited about. I'm not excited about any one thing. I'm excited that we, we have a fun summer planned. Um, on the herpetoculture side... I'm looking forward to trying to breed some of these colubrids for the first time. It's nothing over the top. It's things like bull snakes and pine snakes and gopher snakes, but I've never bred pitchophis, so we're <laughs> going to give that a go. Um, but I would say that, that that's probably what I'm most excited about. And I'm actually, uh, to kind of make this Lucas-centric... <laughs> I'm, I'm happy no, that we're going to be working on that Aspidites book. Um, and you know, that's something that I'm, I'm about because right now I've got contracts to write three books on, I'm, I'm affiliated with your project. And then I got the Hognose book and the Dipsada book and none of the damn books are done. So I just want one of those bastards to be done. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't care which one's done. I just want right. to be able to say we did the beginning, the middle and the end of one of these book projects. And, right. and so I would say on the herpetoculture side, the thing I'm most looking forward to is probably putting this dipsatted book to bed. Like, I, I've, I've been trying to find pictures of obscure ass South American snakes, and uh, it's a problem when you like need other people's pictures because I've never been to South America. 
So I don't have any pictures. And so like tracking down photographs for the book is, is it's own. I, I said this when I was on THP yesterday, it's like electronic herping. I'm like always trying <laughs> to like figure out where the hell do I go to find the pictures of Atractus, which is a, a genus of South American critters that are like this big. Mm-hmm. And I, I found a guy's Flickr account and was like, oh, my God, I found them. They're right here. You know, but then you got to do the whole reaching out to them and people don't have their email. So it's like, yeah. But no, that's getting all that done when, is when I is see good. you still online at like yeah, 4 a.m. your yeah, time. Please. You're like, where's the, the Flickr? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's here somewhere. Yeah. No. Well, it's crazy because like I have in, in, in that Dipsada book, there's like four paragraphs about one snake. Okay. So I'm like, all right, I gotta get, I gotta find pictures of this thing. I cannot find a damn picture of the freaking snake. Hmm. Um, and so now I'm, I'm on the like, so do I just not have a picture of it? Uh, and then I'm like, oh no, we can't do that because everybody's attention span is like. Mm-t. So we need to make sure that the book is not only a book full of words, but a book full of pictures. So right, yeah, you know, hunting those things down. That's why with when I segue over to the Hognose book, that's going to be much much better. <laughs> because I can get the damn pictures myself and it's a North American species. So it's not difficult to find people. Um, but uh, yeah, so yeah. You that's do kind a... of a convoluted answer. And then herping wise, uh, I was, a I was always way into way more into herping than herpeticulture before Zeus. I showed up. And so this year I have very lofty herping goals. Um, ah, I just want to yeah. herp places. I have not herped before. I go right. a lot of places for field work, but you know, at the end of the day, and you know, this Lucas being, you know, doing your consulting work, you get at the end of the grueling ass day and you're kind of like <laughs> bed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, food. I'm in the business. Bed. Of, yeah. <laughs> I flip like five and 800 pound rocks with the river pushing the rocks back <laughs> down as we're trying to flip them up. So at the end of the day, it's, you don't have much energy, but this year I've decided like, no, we're, we're going to incorporate the herping where we're going yes so. well when you come over the air mattress is gonna go. blow up right in the middle of this room <laughs> so you can sleep with all the animals and that, then we're gonna go get sf me, garters and dicamphidon mm-hmm. so is yeah. there a specific species that you would want to find like do you have a list yeah like, uh, I, I have my nemesis list? yeah um, which is list oh it's it's hognose snakes they kick my ass oh. every freaking time i don't know what eastern westerns all, both all of them Oh, I want to find I got to. Well, I literally have to find them all to get my own damn fi- pictures for the book. <laughs> right. So there's that. Uh, but like last year, I did a trip to Kansas and I spent 10 days in Kansas herping because in October it's called Hogtober for a reason. Right. Because that's the, the baby heterodon are all out looking around. Um, and I coordinated with people. I found the guy at uh, the Sternberg Museum of Natural History, Curtis Schmidt, who like is big in the kansas herpetological association he's like all right I'm, he literally made my trip i was like i don't know anything about kansas i have these things called mountains and hills i don't know what flat is like i have no concept <laughs> of that and i went to the prairie so he made this itinerary and we followed it to a t and uh we found 35 species we found over 200 snakes didn't find a freaking hognose snake alive we found <laughs> four dead easterns and then we went out there for planes the NASA uh, or Westerns and we didn't find a Western. And I, I mean, and, and I was, we were road hunting 10 hours a day. Uh, we, we well, I can tell you how many hours we road hunted because the rental we had actually um, Alex, 
Alec, the guy I was talking about, mm-hmm. he was like, <laughs> at the end of the trip, I was like, what? He's like, we were in this car over a hundred hours. So we literally her, <laughs> over a hundred hours just rode her. No, no header Don. We get home to West Virginia and Curtis calls me. Did you know that somebody went up on that same road and within 15 minutes found three? I'm like, you oh, God, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> so like literally I was like, Ugh. so that the, the heterodon quest is on. I've got a, I'm not going to talk about where I'm going. I have a place and I have a time and <laughs> we're just, I'm bringing an army with me and we're going to get that. Um, I want to find Southerns. Uh, I have another guy and I know the guys with North Carolina DNR and uh, they, they basically doing a trade-off, which is like, you know, I can get the permit, which makes me totally illegal and I can go down and, Everything I find, I'll take data on, and I give them the data because I don't want to keep anything. I just want photographs. And then I, I did get Easterns last year. So, uh, But, like, my luck with this snake is crazy. I went – there's a place in Pennsylvania where you can pretty much find Easterns if you go there. And I, I got the spot, and I went. And I went in May when you find the Easterns. And I don't know if you remember, Eric, but we had a weekend in May where it was supposed to be, like, 70 degrees, and it ended yeah. up being, like – 88 degrees freak yes. fluke weather that was the week uh-huh. i went to look for the damn hognose snakes and they only come out like at cooler temperatures so i pivoted and went down to west virginia where which was like three hours from my house that place was seven hours from my house and um we got them so i got i got two i got the pictures but no that's my big big quest is just here on the east side um just finding hognose snakes. I need to find as many as I can to get pictures of variation for the book. Uh, I'm going to try to find an Eastern hog this year. Yeah. In PA. Hopefully. I can talk to you when we're not on air and I, I have a spot. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> I think I know your yeah. spot. We went, I, I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll hit base. My wife. But no, but Alec went to that same spot. <laughs> yeah, Dory. I was too, and he got him. So really? You know, yeah. No, literally. Not, the, I don't the know. Students, I don't trust First Alec. time he went herping ever. He's a crayfish kid. He's like, well, I guess I'll try this herping thing. They got timbers, <laughs> copperheads, eastern hogs, milk snake. Like, it's just like, just shut up and get away from me. Like, <laughs> like, I don't even want to talk to you right now. So yeah. anyway, but no. Did I, Alec I have pictures though? Because I feel like he would also just say that to make you feel bad. What? Who, Alec? Oh no, yeah. I got the pictures. And he, right. and he used them to make me feel bad. So yeah. Yeah. Well, didn't he also dress up as you for Halloween? He did dress up as me for Halloween. <laughs> yeah. it's, so it's not the first time a student's done that either. So <laughs> I have the perfect spot anyway. for Timbers. Timbers. Yes. If mm-hmm. you ever want in PA, I, I know exactly where they're at. You Excellent. will definitely find them for sure. Hundred percent mm-hmm. guaranteed. Yes. But then I I um we're going on spring break. We're going to Florida. And we're gonna look for Florida Kings because I don't have those. Right. I did. Like, you you did corn snakes this year, Riley. I did uh, Getula Kings. Like uh, I got like a trio of Floridas, and then six weeks later, I looked and was like, I can't count all these snakes. <laughs> <laughs> How did this happen? So I, I'm up to like I'm worse than you. I have over forty now. Oh so, shit! <laughs> yeah. Wow. But I, I was thinking, like, I'd like to see where they live. I'd like to get that information, and I might be able to to do some things like what I did with that paper with the natural history and herpetoculture. Yep. Falsies are great, but I got to go to freaking Argentina to find them in the wild. So I need to find right. a snake that I can use to do some experiments that's local. And I thought, all right, well, we'll do king snakes because it 
If I'm going to, if I'm looking for king snakes, I'm in bottomlands, and anytime I'm in bottomlands, I'm happy. So that's why I, I'm 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 kind of segueing for them. But we got a little research project going on in Florida, so that's awesome. happening in March. Awesome. But no, cool, going lots of places. Endless potential, that's man. Awesome. For real, mm-hmm. endless potential with that program. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, no, we're I doing California and Arizona this year. Yes, I may be going to. Um, portal area for a conference in july okay and uh no and i might be doing going for leps and clobber and all those guys oh, so nice. well that's our you know what i mean <laughs> yeah no gotcha did, have you made it to arizona you did not make it to arizona yet, i didn't go right? no yeah. i had COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, <laughs> COVID got yes. me mm-hmm. i think all of us except riley at the moment Succumbed yeah yeah not COVID. yet yeah. uh it's close though it's hitting home mm-hmm. man it's getting it's getting rampant through here. Alyssa's out with COVID. She's been out for over a week. So yeah. I've been running the shop solo. Oy, oy, nice. oy. How's the brain frog uh frog? Fog, Zach. You're saying oh, that it's it, horrible. It was, yeah, you Sucks, don't it, it? right? Oh my god. You got it too. Oh. oh no, I got it back. So I didn't have any symptoms because I had all three shots. So like they yeah. tested all the kids here when they came back. And when we started school, I had a head cold. And I thought, is this COVID? This can't possibly be COVID. <laughs> um, and then sure enough, the students I know were like, I was getting the emails basically saying this kid can't be in class. And then I reached out. It's like, do you have COVID? And they're like, yeah, I feel fine. Like, well, you have, do you feel anything? I don't think I have a head cold. I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like so yeah. I did a take home test, nothing. I did the brain poke because we were set to do field work. And um, sure enough, it popped positive. The yeah. only symptom I had, I mean, I, I was walking five and a half, six miles a night with COVID. Like, wow. Because I'm trying to get in shape for the field season and I roam around my neighborhood at night because I'm a creeper. And that's why <laughs> that's when I walk because I don't have time to walk any other time of day and I don't like walking when it's hot. So, uh, yeah, but I had to like call that to an end. But I, one of the things that tipped me off though that I might have COVID is I was sitting right here and I'm the chair of my department. So, like, everybody's problem is my problem. Like, that's right. my job. Right. Okay? And all these kids didn't sign up for this class or they got kicked out of that class or they didn't pay their bill. And I had to like I had this gigantic to do list. And I'm normally like not anxious, but I don't like to have things over my head. Mm-hmm, and the right. to do list was like a 30 things. I'm just sitting here. I'm like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want to do that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to do that. And I, yeah. I'm just going to like I'm just going to be. Uh, and then I thought, I have to be dying. Like something has to be yes. wrong if I'm just sitting here and I do not care about anything. So that's when I went and got the PCR test. And sure enough, I yeah, yeah. But no, and it was the first week of classes, and I had all these <laughs> things that like had to happen, and it, it was crazy. Uh, but it's of course it's starting to go away. I still have it. I tell everybody I benefited from COVID. I, like, I literally feel rested. And that's good. You, you know, you need that. <laughs> yeah, because I just yeah. didn't care about anything. So no, yeah. the brain fog is like that's the only symptom that I had. Very good. Not. Well, I'm glad it wasn't worse. I, Eric no. obviously was was on the verge of death for months, yeah. and I have long <laughs> COVID in the form of a headache that won't leave and mm. congestion yeah. and coughing crap out of my lungs forever. But yeah, yeah. it's it COVID's probably part of the reason why when I was asked like to do two podcasts back to back. I was like, I like doing that. We'll do that. 
Like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like, there's no rationale. Yeah, no rationality or logical thought or like, oh, you know, you got to act like somewhere in there. Yeah. I was going to send a message to you in the thing when you asked, and I was going to answer him back, and I'm like, well, he's a doctor, so, I mean, he realizes that he's doing these yeah. podcasts back to back, but okay, yeah. all right. And I'm fine. Well, well, it's all good. Like you have to have a, anyway. a certain amount of stamina for that as someone that lectures for hours oh, on yeah. the children. So, yeah, mm-hmm. me being children. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, a normal class, if, if I teach a night class, I'm talking for three straight hours. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, and that's about stuff I don't necessarily want to talk about. This is all stuff I want to talk about. You know, this <laughs> right. is relaxing. So for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, but no. Yeah. Weathered that storm. Oh, beautiful. Big old chain king that lives in my yes. backyard. Chain kings are yeah. fantastic. I, I can't keep those anymore. They uh, West Virginia got new herp regs and they went the route of no native species, but black mambas are cool. So. <laughs> <laughs> Of course. Yeah. But uh <laughs> well, you need to get your Instagram followers up, you know what I yeah. mean? So they want to, you know. Mm-hmm. How will we get the YouTube ad revenue? <laughs> so anywho, um but it's cool. I mean, I, I I work with DNR all the time, so I understand their perspective. I understand my perspective. They're just different. So there you go. Yeah. Very cool. But no, cool. Chain Kings are awesome. I don't know if I've ever seen a chain king. I'm gonna look it up right now as we <laughs> Eastern King Snake, same thing. Oh okay. Um, yeah. They just call them chains because the white circles can be connected on the sides. Uh so it ends up kind of having a chain link effect. So no, I haven't actually found the Eastern Kings. I haven't found any of the true Getchula. I found uh, the only king that I found are black kings, and they're in West Virginia. And they're Me? really, really cool. So, very cool, huh? Yeah. They're uh, I mean, just a uh, just a nice, clean black and white Cali King is still my favorite yes. thing to find out out here. Um, mm-hmm. Just can't beat it. They're so cool. No. Yeah. So with Eric, Eric's looking up pictures. Uh, Papuan carpets are your yes. favorite carpet. Mm-hmm. So with Currently. the Papuans, everybody kind of talks about how there is so much potential for different avenues to take projects, right? You could go for the oranges. You could go yeah. for a, a darker black look. Like, do you have a preferred, uh, Papuan phenotype that you, Oh, well nice. actually let's all look at the chain King. <laughs> <laughs> Distracted. Yeah. I tried cool. to bring it back to carpets. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Um, what is your, your perfect pop? I like two looks. I like the kind of, I like the super black, black with yellow, Mm. like, you know, almost like the jungle look, but I like there to be that, that poplin orange red in there too. If that makes any sense, that's my favorite. look. And then I like the ones that are high orange. Um, Okay. Just orange all over the freaking place. Those are the two looks. Solid flames. Yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yep. Very good. Yeah. The the one pair I have, I got them from Ryan DeMoss when he was, Oh, nice. Making his collection smaller. He put them up and I was like, all right, I'll go with Ryan. So, uh, and uh, they produced an animal that like, it's, I mean, you can even call it high yellow. I don't know how to, it's, it almost looks like a jungle. It's crazy. And I gave all the babies away. I just kept a female and um, yeah, she's pretty fantastic. So 
it, it's one of the snakes that I look at and I'm like, I helped make that. Like, what? <laughs> like, like this is like not just a, a carpet. Like it, it, it's got a nice look to it. So nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. We don't know what last year's clutch is going to look like. Um, they're still red and, you know, baby poplin -y. That makes any sense at all. Body Here's one of the only places where it does make sense. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Nice. Eric, what are you looking at? What are you what are you doing? I was trying to pull up poster child to oh. uh <laughs> oh, nice. The super orange uh pop one. I can tell when you have the schemey look in your eye. <laughs> oh, you can see. Oh, yeah. I keep forgetting that you can see me when I'm looking at the computer screen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, yeah, I but no, that's my, fun. my look. Very yeah, there's so many different looks to where you can go with them, but yeah, I'm kind of with you. I kind of like the. Um, but of course, I can't find it. Yeah. I, I've, oh. I've found that if I'm going to go any kind of like line breeding or anything like that, I don't really like like any particular morph per se. I just like a lot of contrast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, like stark contrast. Yeah. Um, and so that's where the, the that kind of jet black, not just black, and then the yellow look is 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 what I like. Yeah, Scott is right. I don't know if you guys have ever watched this YouTube channel, but um Crime pays, one. but botany doesn't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's a good one. Nice, nice suggestion, Scott. <laughs> yeah, that guy's awesome. Of course, I can't uh, find it. Don't wait for me. Talk amongst yourselves. Ah, talk Good. amongst ourselves. Ah, yeah. Riley, <laughs> talk amongst ourselves. <laughs> amongst ourselves. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, we're really good at podcasts. Um, yeah. You're doing great. It's all good. He sounds like the like uh you know the dad that's giving a little bit of like you know that little push like you're doing great, kid. Yeah, oh, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> oh man. Oh nice stage right. I've got two pairs of of pop ones going this year on both ends of the spectrum. One female that's super orange, and one female that doesn't have a lick of orange on her. She's black, mm -hmm. um, and and males that complement them nicely, and they're both looking really, really good. So, hmm. if all goes well, should be able to pull off two clutches yeah. this year. Some pop ones that kind of cover that spectrum nicely. Yeah. The, the funny thing about the two clutches that were produced here is that both times we didn't think we were successful. So we were like, oh, eggs, cool. Wow, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. That's a badass snake. Yep. I yes. like that snake. Mm -hmm. Very good. That thing's smoking. Which one is that, Eric? That's Poster Child? That is a, well, no, that's an offspring of Poster Child. Very cool. Reminds yeah. me of uh, the the imports that I picked up from Dan a few years ago for us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For whatever reason, those in particular have like a lot of orange on the uh -huh. saddles. I've uh -huh. noticed. Um, I don't know if yours has the same, but it's like mm -hmm. they do really, really orange in the, yeah, the orange goes all the way across the dorsal in some areas. 
Yeah. All right. Nice. So I, I put on my uh, Instagram that we were having you on and, and had a little submission box. If anybody had any questions that might not be able to make it, um, I did get one. Uh, so Alex, Alex's Reptiles wants to ask, uh, Class Olympus scrub price hike to $7,500. Is this good or bad for Moluccans as a Thanks, Alex Reptiles. You broke the podcast. <laughs> I know. I really. Uh, and Riley is, might be deceased. Nope. Nope. I ain't yeah, saying shit. That's it. I think. <laughs> okay. He muted himself. <laughs> Sometimes that's for the best. <laughs> I think the problem with species, like this is just my two cents. The problem with species like that is I think that it keeps it out of hands of people that could possibly do some good for the species. And it really sort of nailed the point home when I heard Rob on Snakes and Stogies on Monday talking about like Jamaican boas, Puerto Rican boas, um, you know, these species that have no value at all. And the only thing that keeps people into that species is the fact that they actually love the species. They're willing to just give it away to people to continue um, this stuff. To, to, you know, uh, they trade different, you know, different lines and stuff so that their, you know, genetics are diverse. And I think he was saying, I don't want to get this wrong, but I think he was saying that the Puerto Rican boas that are in the hobby are like s- as genetically diverse as the wild uh, Puerto Rican boas, which to me is kind of crazy, you know. But I don't know, man. I think when, like, I think. Like with Bolin's pythons and Malukan pythons, to me that just seems like a cash in. I don't know. I'm sorry. I just I just look at it as, you know, I get it. They're they're rare, but I think it I think it gives the wrong idea to people coming into herpticulture because it puts value on something that's probably not fit for everybody. I don't know. That's just my two cents. I view that. I, I, I copy that. Um, I think that it the, the it becomes like the chase in the dragon that you guys talk about. Like literally, yeah. like you want to have. It also promotes like a one-off situation where yeah. you can only afford one animal. So then right. you end up buying one here, one here, one here, one here, one here. But you don't end up with what you need to maintain a captive population, which is mm-hmm. multiple animals in one place. Or what about the the dude that doesn't know any better and buys a pair and he's the first person that makes you think that your price point is legit and then nobody follows suit afterwards and then you drop your price a couple thousand dollars and then one or two other fish bite, you drop it a few thousand dollars and then the dude who jumped on it that $7,500 price point per animal finds out gets pissed off that somebody else got the same shit he did for half the price or something like that. Yeah. Then who are you? You're that asshole that just blindly ripped off a few dudes in the hobby just because you accidentally bred something rare. And I'm going back to mute. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Riley. (laughs) I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard, right? Because there's that, there's the side of us that agree that, you know, the entire discussion of, of a market with the reptile, uh, di- the herpticultural discipline, 
Yeah. I shall now say is right. in, in, in and of itself is just a little bit ridiculous. Um, yeah. But there's I mean, you can't argue with the point that it's worth what someone will pay. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, like if you are that person that uh, that, uh, you know, has the clutch of Moluccans or has the clutch of Bullens, you know, who's 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 to tell you what you can and can't do. But the flip side of that is exactly what you guys are saying do we want them to stay rare or do yeah. we want more Moluccan scrubs <laughs> yeah, because and if I, if you succeed in that you are by default almost certainly going to cause that price point to then go down as the population in human care goes up exactly so what is our true so what's the goal here yeah and then what does that do to the import market other than yeah. market up even further to a ridiculous price the animal's quality hasn't changed. The risk to you having success with an import hasn't mm -hmm. changed. But now some importers seeing that some Joe Schmo is charging, you know, 350% increase. Now all of a sudden they're going to be like, well, he's asking that. I'm going to jack my price up. And now the risk has gone through the roof. The price has gone through the roof. But you're still getting an import animal that's going to, you know, potentially roll on you because of the status. Nothing's changed. Yeah, I think sure. I think too the the you know with that group of snakes the scrub complex which I kind of lump Bolins into that same thing is like clearly we've seen an uptick in people producing scrub pythons right yes. and I think that has to do with a couple things one being that a lot of people have been using double males right to get the female to to in in order to produce a clutch right and if that's sort of the breeding strategy how can you do that when the snake is you know what i'm saying like, <laughs> i know exactly it, what you're saying yeah which it's, it's, and that that whole strategy is questionably bullshit too i mean look at what? did you guys double hear mills? yeah the double mill that that strategy is questionably bullshit did you guys listen to the recent episode of uh of um uh fight club they, they, there's a little jab in there, a little, little stab in there that Which episode, uh, from, the from most recent fight week? club from today uh, I and, and, yet. and Justin and Chuck had a little stab in there and it was a little, yeah, thanks for whoever started that rumor about needing multiple males because Chuck bred his without having to do that. And he's sitting on 2.1 and it was, if I'm not mistaken, the whole intonation was, uh, that was a waste of him buying two males because it was it was from people who just think, you know, they haven't figured it out. So they've got to they do all this. And it's just another like passing of this this dogma torch that nobody ever, ever puts through a scientific process or tests or double checks or sees if it's reproducible. They just have one like, well, I did it this way. And and then all of a sudden everybody buys it as gospel. And in my opinion, I don't think we know. And to say that we know one way or the other, and then to have this whole market scheme, like, well, you got to buy multiple males. You got to have combat. Well, you got to have this. You got to pay. Really? Well, we, I, we, we have just we, the guy to talk about dogma <laughs> and the reptile hobby. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. I, I, if I can add something to that, I, I yeah. think that, um, I think too often in the private side and the professional side, because I'm also in the business of zoos, and I talk to a lot of people in zoos, mm -hmm. it seems like 
you're trying to get something to reproduce. I don't care what it is. It can be a parrot or a Moluccan scrub for all, you know, class of lepsis, whatever. Um, that you, you, people are trying and they're literally the scientific approach is grab shit, throw at wall. <laughs> that, it's not make yeah, and in some instances it's totally the scientific method but there's definitely like literally kitchen sink throw everything and then invariably you get success and then when you use that approach though here's the problem you've thrown everything so if you've thrown mm -hmm. everything you can't isolate your variables can't isolate your variables but you're gonna try and then you're gonna <laughs> say the variable was the two males because that's what was different from everybody else well Maybe you had two males. Maybe that was the variable. Very well could be the male, the, the variable. Could also be that you had multiple pressure fronts moving through. Yeah. And you had one male that got triggered, and it's really no different than one male working. So that's why. Yeah, there's a whole lot. Yeah. And I'm not saying, like, you, you can't use the kitchen sink. I use the kitchen sink. It's a great it's a great way to start with something that has yeah. no publication, right? Like at yeah. the very least, you might get a heading of where to start from that point on. You throw everything out there. Maybe get gotta, some indication. But you got to take data. That's <laughs> yeah. the thing. And people aren't, you know, the data point there is two males. That's the variable we're queuing in on. But you got to take the data that might be null that you don't think is important. So while you're doing that, log the barometric pressure, log the weather patterns, log the temperature, log the substrate right. type, log the shed cycle, log everything, right. and then look at all of the data. But don't just look at, like, what you got there and be like, oh, no, this is what did it. And that... That happens all the time, all, all the time. Um, well, so I, I don't know. What do you think about this as well? Right. Even if you take the, the, the double males out of the equation, right. Let's just say yes. that that's total bullshit, but you still need. And I mean, for me, if I was going to work with, well, look at me with pop ones, right. I have like, you know, as genetically diverse a group as I possibly can have. I have wild caught stuff. I have yeah. farm hatch stuff. I have stuff that's been in the hobby from different bloodlines that can be traced back to wild caught stuff. All unrelated. Yes. But in order to do a project like that, you know, and and have a, a, a group, I think people think like, oh, I'm going to have a pair of this or a pair of that. And it's like, well, yeah, you're, you, you might produce them and you might get lucky. And maybe with carpets, it's probably easier because they breed easier. But with a lot of these like rare, you know, python or rare anything, I think you need a bigger group than like a yeah. pair. Right. You know oh, totally. what I mean? Like, it has to be reproducible. Know, and and with Correct. this, we're not even talking about the genetic side of it. No, fuck genetics. <laughs> just getting offspring. You yeah. have to be yeah. able to say, for this species, right. I had success genetics. this way. Now yeah. I'm going to we then do it again. And then I'm going to do right. it again. Yeah. And then I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to show that this system right. works, regardless well, of the genetics involved. 100%. Regardless. You, you have to have the system first. But my point is... You do it once, whoop-de-doo. Do it again well, three more times. Let's see it. Most certainly. But my point is, as that pertains to how these things are valued, mm -hmm. let's, you know, let's keep in mind that if we actually somehow do get it together as a herpeticultural discipline mm -hmm. to track <laughs> our genetic diversity and try to somehow be a private entity that does some kind of a stud bookie thing with these rare species to try yeah. to make it uh, legit. Mm -hmm. 
Well, then they probably can't be un- unattainable. And because what are you going to do if you're the guy that gets lucky? Lucky, you can't afford more. You're just going to breed the siblings. <laughs> so here's the example of what zoos do. Zoos have a computer program that has an algorithm that takes the entire population of a stud book, computes the relatedness to uh, usually a tenth of a percentage, so they can make the most uh, disparate related possible pairings within a population using only what they know. If they don't have that known, this is where that animal came from, that can't be used in this population, even if it probably is viable. If you don't have that information, gone, can't use it. So what they basically do is they have this population of all these known genetics and known animals and their relatedness, and that makes recommended pairings based on the unrelatedness coefficient within those animals. And they try and have animals sent to different zoos for these breedings in hopes that it works out to then create further animals that are as unrelated as possible for the longevity of the species. That's kind of just a... Exactly. The hundred year goal, et cetera, et cetera. That is not what anybody, 99% of people do in in herpetoculture do. Oh, I'm aware. There are, there are, yeah, I'm not yeah. saying that happens. I'm not <laughs> illuminating it for you, Lucas. I'm, alluding, I'm illuminating okay, okay, it for okay. our audience. I'm illuminating it for the people that are listening and maybe just figuring this now out. Now I is, will mute. Yeah. So this is, well, no, I want you involved in this. This is how it goes because you, you were, you were seeing this that, and, and I think it's wonderful to, to bring up um, because I do think there's a lot of value to do this in herpetoculture. I do think oh, it's 100% super, super important. Yeah. And I don't think it's that hard to do. No, um, you know, I mean, you might you might have to spend some time uh, keeping a certain animal out of your study or out of your group until you can confirm or deny origins, backgrounds, whatever. But at, at a certain point in time, you can start from that point on uh, with this this approach and this objective if that's what your goal is and it doesn't have to be something where you pay union dues and go to meetings every year. It could just be a simple organization of people with a like-minded goal. Um, it, it organization is the hardest part when it is loosey goosey kind of free flowing. But I think when you get a, a, a good population of people involved, you can at least start somewhere. Uh, and I think, I think starting with a known population with one species is all it takes Just start with, like for example, right now, say say uh, Dr. Lofman, you started it with your your falsies. Yep. Just that that would be a, a great example because you you know where these animals came from. Even if you didn't start with the original founding stock, you stock with the you start with the offspring you've produced because say they're the only known like truly known variables, which is probably not the case. You probably know a lot more than that, but yep. you could really start with that, create a foundation for everybody else to follow, and then what it does is it inspires people who have animals that maybe exist pre that era, do some digging, do some homework, do some reaching out. And you might be able to find that stuff. You might be able to very validly find out, okay, this animal is as represented. Here's the steps along the way. It can now be used as a viable uh, member of this gene pool and its genetic diversity can be uh, used for the benefit of the species. It's a lot of work, but it can be done. It can be done. I think Ari, I think Ari tried to do that with Bolins, yes. if I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure he did. Well, yeah, I, I don't know how far they do got, this. But. Mm-hmm. They, they absolutely do this. All mm-hmm. those kennel clubs and everything, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you know, this one, this is the product of this and this, and, this. and you you maintain those. Um, oh, what the hell is it called? 
the AKC. Yeah, AKC, but the we do it with pictures of snakes, and it shows yeah. like great grandfather, but I forget the lineage. name of that lineage yeah, tree. Like lineage a lineage tree. tree, yeah. But um, but even but to add a like layer to it, uh, it it is very easy and very mm-hmm. cheap. It, you just require somebody in the know to take yeah. a little bit of skin from a snake, mm-hmm. um, and you can even use shed skin and send mm-hmm. it off to a genetics company and get a sequence for that snake. And then run a phylogenetic tree and look at how things are related to each other. And if sure. you got a group that a group of whatever, a population of animals you wanted to study, you know, it would be great if you did this at like what's called a microsatellite level, because mm-hmm. that's studying a population. But you can get away with just like basic genotyping. Yep. Um, but if everybody that was interested in a species that was relatively rare, like did that, and you have somebody that's in the know on how to, to do the map, the, mm-hmm. the genetic analyses. You could you could literally come up with what AZA has, and I've thought yeah. about this a lot. In my random drivings from work to home, and mm-hmm. then the, one of the things that have all that drives me insane about herpeticulture, and I'm not getting like highfalutin here, is like we are our worst enemy. Mm-hmm. We do mm-hmm. stupid shit all the time, and if there was just one group, one we usually group publicize it on sector, YouTube too. Yeah, that was doing this level. Of care and then really took the husbandry to like the next degree and then advertised what the hell they were doing and was out in the open we, we might not we might actually get more respect than we get and the people that have mastered this there is a facet of herpetoculture that has mastered this and no one ever talks about them the freaking turtle people they're amazing yep. mm-hmm. they totally have the genetic lineage for these turtles mm-hmm. they're working with agencies so like when they do a bust in asia and they need a place for the turtles to go oh yes the herpetoculturalists here are getting them. Yep. Now they had to work their ass off. They didn't like yell and scream. They didn't get up and shake their fists every time a law came down. They they sat at the table. They talked relatively calmly. When the door shut, they're dropping f bombs left and right, probably because they can't. You know, regs are coming down. But their whole approach to the whole thing of making this a discipline and not a hobby got respect. And now, look at where they're at. You know, they're literally yes. working. The, the, the other tree. thing that uh, people, I think, don't want to admit is involved in a big way uh, is the financial angle that rears its ugly head. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing that most people don't realize is when zoos trade these animals <laughs> and, and swap them back and forth, there is no money. There's no money yeah. changing hands usually. Um for example, Sacramento Zoo. Say they want to get in some Aldabras from a facility that has some up for sale. They literally just pay for freight and shipping and transport, whatever it takes to have a ferry or whatever. There is no, well, this tortoise costs $9,000. Pay, pay that plus shipping. And I get it. It's not, they're not in, a, in the business of making money off the animals, whereas in the private sector, some people, that's how they pay their bills. But that is absolutely 100% a variable that, creates uh, alternative motives and, and and just changes the way that dynamic yeah. works. Um, and that can't be understated. I mean, that is absolutely a crucial variable into why zoos have it figured out and herpeticulture doesn't. Because they're not doing it based on money. Yeah. They're doing At it based on In that good, regard. In that regard, yeah. yes. yes, yes <laughs> in that regard. And, and I should also say that's not every zoo. And that's not everywhere. Yep. And that's not 100% across the board. I should 100%. never. There is no blanket statement in this. There's never, always asterisks yeah, to that. But for the most part, 
that is how this exchange of animals operates within the AZA community. That is how the species is uh, managed in the AZA community. And it is for the longevity unrelatedness of a species that might or is already in peril from that. And I think we take for granted in this hobby, some of these species that have limited gene pools like our Australian stuff. Yeah. yeah. Or Indonesian stuff or Madagascar or wherever, you know? So. Yeah. No, I, I my one of my dreams, because I see all sides. I'm literally in all sides of the argument because I hear people bitch about academia. Well, I'm in academia. Yeah. Yep. And then I hear people bitch <laughs> about zoos. Yep. I'm the chair of a zoo side major. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I've... a private hobbyist. So I'm yeah. like, if you've got like a peace sign and each wedge represents something, I am in the middle. I am yeah. literally right there. Yeah. And I see I, the pros and cons to everything. I don't and I don't envy you. I've I've played the, the <laughs> bop it game where I've just yes. bopped from one spot to whatever's lighting up, and that's just where my <laughs> yeah. That's career hard. goes but um but i see it i see it man it's it's a hundred percent like there's there's so much good that we can take as herpetoculture from the zoological side of things and there's so much good that the zoological side of things can take from herpetoculture and right. if you know also include academia and research and everything um it's just you know ironic that i i'm gonna say that right now because i'm also a kind of a, a cynical asshole so <laughs> the one the one thing that i would say is like we were talking my, my college yeah. the school for yeah. hey at least you remember it yeah. we, we were talking to darren and daniel um uh boz in boz, australia yeah. was on the uh npr the other week and we were having a conversation about their licensing license licensing structure um in australia and it made me think like you know, I know that we're so anti-license and like, you know, you have to prove that you can do X. And I know it's America and everything <laughs> <Yeah>. is free, <laughs> you know, all this yeah. kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I know everybody's afraid about that because let's face it, once you give away a little bit of this, it's in our brain yeah. that, you know, you're going to give away more. and blah, Give blah, an blah. inch, take a mile sort of thing. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know, man. After listening to their thought, I kind of think that they kind of have a good way of doing it. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't think it should be a free for all. I've said right. this. Well, before. look at Florida with their venomous getting a venomous right. permit. You know, right. And, and I know, like, you talk about Florida, immediate regulations come up. Everybody wants to burn people with fire right. down. You know, let's mm -hmm. take that out of the equation. Mm -hmm. I spent a semester in Florida fresh out of West Virginia after I graduated from undergrad and realized I don't want to live in Florida and coming back to my mountains. Mm -hmm. But in that semester, I hung out with a lot of herpers. And when you went through that process to get your thousand hours and you mentored and, and then you passed the test or whatever the hell the final thing is. And then you come out the other end and you're like, yeah, I got my venomous permit. That's like a badge of honor at that point. Like you did it. And that alone adds a level to the cake. Like then in people entering herpetoculture like all right that's what i got to do to have these animals well if that's right if you're serious about it that's what you're going to do and that's the the good side of of regulations i'm going to argue Agreed. um because you really do have to put your time in and when you put your time yeah. in there's that pride factor and the pride factor then might keep you from like forgetting to feed the damn snakes <laughs> or right. opening the tub and then there's a big pile of crap you know 
you might be less inclined to just close it because it's just a $35 or whatever, you know, right. because you've invested your time. And then the other thing that does, whether we want to admit it or not, is the people that are going to be in this for like three years, they're out yeah. of it before they get into it. And then that's going to help us because the like we don't want the bad imaging. Yes, like exactly. You've got to be massively yeah. committed to the process. But you you say, like you just said, Eric, you know, I look at that stuff and I'm thinking, okay, cool. A certificate system? I'm, yeah. I'm yeah, okay 100%. with that. I think it's a great. I think it's a great system. Here at the university, it was really funny because they they're always looking for ways to use our online education platform. And one day they were like, "Can you come up with a graduate degree online?" And now we have Lucas. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Literally, like, yeah, we can do that. But my herpetoculture class that I teach, that Lucas took, um, I've heard that it's a little intense. Oh, so Um, fun! (laughs) But like, I've often thought, like, what would it be cool to like? offer that as a like certificate in herpetoculture that's coming from a university would people like take that Can I have or would my, people yeah, like, yeah. not take that or if, if you actually went through it and i'm not saying that you need that you know you could do it with person. aza yeah but if we did something like that maybe that would you know yeah. the if I, uh, foundation does that they have I a make like a swanky certificate little thing. Yeah. PDF, will you sign it that says Lucas that? Lee? Her, her pastor? Oh, Lucas, they already do that. AZA yeah. already does it. I've no, got one. Do of my, I don't want it my... to be signed by Zach. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't have that, but I've got one up on my wall. Well, you can't see it. It's behind the monkey. I've got one over there from my, my croc school. Okay. Uh, oh, board. yeah, croc school. Croc yeah. school. Yeah. There's like a full years of academics worth shoved right into like 10 days plus hands on lab work and everything. Yeah. And it was. Yeah. Is amazing. Well, croc, well, it sounds important because a croc can eat you. Yes. <laughs> yes. And I still have all 10 of my fingers because yeah. of that school. Yeah. And I've had this thumb almost in a Chinese alligator's mouth. Nice. Ooh. Right. But yeah, it can be done. Lucas, you you are the you are the guinea pig, uh the, the guinea pig student body for, for what probably in, in 10, 15 years be a, a standard or a norm. Yes. Sign okay. me up. <laughs> no. yeah. I, I like that stuff and there's people that eat that stuff up and there's other people that won't do it if they don't do it that's fine and that's fine yeah that you is know? for sure i heard your i heard your speech on on the the major zach um yeah i think it was the thb episode i think you were talking about it mm-hmm. semester enrolling and opening everything and i was like man if only i were a few years younger and weren't already <laughs> like fully mm-hmm. managing a shop and breeding facility yeah. and i had some time i it wouldn't have 100%. i would have hit you up right away and be like zach yeah. sign yeah. me up what here's my checkbook here's my account yeah. sign me up like for yeah. sure and and it's not that i feel like i'm too old to go back to school is that i just don't have the time <laughs> oh, I, I know all about that dude. but i'm yeah. i'm so grateful that that somebody like you exists i mean there are people oh. like lucas right here who are following in the footsteps that if 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 it had existed in my timeline, I'd have absolutely been on that track. And I think it's wonderful. And I think it's just a sign of the times. I mean, Herbert yeah. culture is, is growing to an unprecedented point. I mean, innovation is, you know, there's no ceiling to it. Uh, the knowledge is just growing and research is, you know, yeah, there's no cap to it. So I, I, yeah. I think it's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. To cool. and I, cool I, to do, see. I just feel so lucky about the timing of it all. Right. Like, yeah. I, yeah. I will never timing is everything, dude. Just like, being a 
miserable field biologist driving up a hill to get cell service <laughs> to call Zach for the first time. Yeah. And I think I pretty much was just like, please help me. I don't know who you are. You sound cheerful and you need a friend. Uh, yeah. Oh man. I just, I just know the internal struggle that I was going through while yeah. I was like finishing up my undergraduate degree and volunteering at the zoo in Santa Barbara. Yeah. And this program had existed and I didn't know about it. Uh -huh. I mean, it definitely trajectory would be different, but it would just been along the same thread. And that, yeah, I'm not regretting anything that I've done. Yep. And I'm not going to take anything back, but I'm super excited to see what the future holds for that program, for Lucas, for other students involved and what that's going to yep. mean. Because I think your idea of incorporating it potentially uh, into some sort of herpicultural certificate, some weight and validity, maybe with AZA, I think that's I think that's the avenue of the future right now. Herpetoculture needs to gain some public eye respect in a big way. Yeah. And I think academia is the most unignorable way to do it because worldwide academia is respected in that way. And I think uh, I think right now you guys are really you're setting the setting the standard of what what can be done and you're reinventing it. And I think it's no. we're giving uh, it a good it's the most exciting time. time to be in herpetoculture or, yeah. you know, yeah. change my mind. Right. So, yeah. Absolutely. Well, while we're on the subject, Zach, do you want to talk a little bit real briefly to the listeners of this? Sure. If they are interested in the master's program, you want to do your little thing? My Please. infomercial? Yeah. 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 I mean, uh, it worked on me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, do yeah. it. Let's get some more of the, the next generation in. Let's so, bring some people in. We, we do have this master's degree. It's uh, completely online. So I'm in West Virginia. Lucas is in San Francisco, basically. Literally two, two sides of a continent. <laughs> and um he's my grad student and we're working on a master's thesis it's not a you can go just take courses if you want to do that nothing wrong with that if you want to do a thesis and the nice thing about me is that when i got my phd i did not i, I did not like I, I did not want to get a phd i had a master's degree was happy as could be here at west liberty um making a barely livable wage but that was cool because i was teaching and then somebody walked down the hallway and was like yo you have to have a doctorate or else we're not rehiring you next year. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So like, you know, I went down there, but that's critical to this conversation because I understand from personal experience, what you have to do to go back to school um, and do a degree remotely at the graduate level, which is a little bit different than the undergraduate level. I actually think it's easier to do it at the graduate level than it is at the undergrad level. I would um, agree. But um. So I, we do a lot of latitude shifts and figure out how to make it work. But basically the way that it works is that you take classes. If you want, if you want to work in a zoo, you have to take classes in birds. Um, you take a mammalogy class, you take a herpetoculture class. Uh, I teach that one. That's the ology sequence. You have to take a statistics class so that we're actually pumping out people that if they throw the crap at the wall, they know how to analyze that data. <clears throat> That's important. Um, and that does experimental design and, and, and things like that. It's not like the worst graduate level stats class, but it's definitely, it's doable, but it's, it's, you know, that's all I'm going to say about that. So then we have <laughs> other clock courses though, that are like key to animal husbandry. So like you have to take animal nutrition. Um, if you do the MA option, uh, we're about to maybe change the curriculum up maybe and make that a little bit more give a little bit more freedom to the MSers that want to do that. But like in that nutrition class, we talk about like people always talk about like you feed rats for this and mice for that. 
Dr. Greathouse literally talks about the nutritional qualities of a rat. He talks Maybe. about what they are at a pinky, at a, at a weanling, at a small rat, medium rat, jumbo rat, post-breeder rat. Like, Beautiful. We cover all that stuff so you understand what you're doing with mm -hmm. the food. Um, <clears throat> like Before this whole thing came, I was trained as an ecologist. I did not know anything about animal nutrition. And now I've done a deep dive on that. And like, I, I did not realize there's a lot of difference between a 100-gram mouse and a 100-gram rat. Like They are not. The mm -hmm, same, mm -hmm. and then you add a hundred gram chick, and you got a whole different set of macronutrients. Yep. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, but we cover that stuff. Parasitology is a class, so you learn about the things that are in there, and then we don't do the vet school thing. We're not about like treating that's, them, but at the same different. time, we will talk about like uh, panicure and what it is and what it targets, um, and then flagell, what it is and what it targets. Um, and teach you a little bit through. Uh, well, we, we haven't figured out how to do this, but we're working on it right now. Like how to have labs with fecal floats and things like that. But like, literally, if you do this, so if you're like, even in the private sector and you want to be a full-time breeder forever, and you're entertaining the idea of maybe trying to like get into AZA, you're going to learn all the AZA stuff, but you're also going to learn all the complex biology. That's going to totally make you a better keeper in mm -hmm. the end. Mm -hmm. And then we do a lot of forums so the fun, like, we, we love the forums. I make people read journal articles. I'm, that might be facetious. So you got to read, like, three journal articles that are from the field of herpetology. And then I always try to get my students to, like, read various papers in herpetology. And then, like, how does this apply to herpeticulture? And part of the reason why I take that approach is it's that credibility angle that we have to accept whether we want to or not. We have to be able to have conversations with people. And if a herpeto if you, you start talking to a herpetologist, like a, you know, a state agency herpetologist, and you're able to talk about ecology and life history and niche dining, like all that kind of stuff, and you lead with that instead of like what morph of milk snake you have, I work <laughs> with these people all the time. The second you start talking about morphs to most of them, they're gone. Gone. Yeah. You've lost all credibility because what they see in a morph, we see a pretty snake. I'm not pooing on morphs. I'm telling you the perspective. I've had the people tell me yeah. is that they're like, well, don't you have to like inbreed the shit out of those things to make them look like that? I'm like, yeah. Weren't there issues with that? Yeah. Why do you do that? Like, it, because these people are trained huh. <laughs> in conservation where like you want diversity of genetics. You don't like you want strong populations. And it's fine that the two this is where the two disciplines differ. But if you understand their world, you can talk to them and then maybe get them to join your world. And that's mm -hmm. what like a graduate degree is all about, is like learning how to communicate at a higher level. And that's right. why um, I love the Zusai grad degree. Like last semester, when the world started exploding in, in my universe, uh, I, I was like, oh, God, I got to grade forums. And then I would like go into the forums and then I'm just nerding out with my students. <laughs> it's just like okay i don't have the grade forums you know i i, I mean so. just to jump into i don't know how you graded all the tests because like a finished <laughs> singular test was like 50 pages sometimes yes i'm sure brian's was like 70 but oh, no. you know. well, i had a student turn an 83 page test and mm -hmm. i was just like this is bigger than a master's thesis like, <laughs> <hell."> <laughs> like, so, oh, anyway crap. But, i got no, well when you're in this world that I live in, you read a lot. So yeah. You learn how to like, 
it's not that I sit there and I'll fully admit I'm not reading every sentence, but it's more sure. like skimming. And then when you right. start to pick up like grammatical errors or something like that, your eyes like start, you know, catching <laughs> mm-hmm. those immediately. Yeah. Um, and sure. then you kind of hone in, but no, uh, never found one of those in my papers. I know it never, not <laughs> once, not once, <laughs> not once. No. So, I like uh, his confidence. <laughs> yes. But no, I think it's a, you know, it's a great, great thing. But part of the reason why I was like entertaining the idea, like, what a certificate in herpetoculture work is if we go the certificate route, you don't have to have a degree. And I talked to a lot of people who are like, I want a degree, but I can't at this point in my life, but they want to learn formally. And that's where a certificate program's perfect. Mm-hmm. There we go, Eric. So like you do that. And then you're also not just going to learn about herpetoculture. You're going to learn how we read these papers, how you read the like paper, A, B, C, D, E, generate an idea and write about it. Like there's actually way it's just like in sports you learn how to do a play or you learn you know whatever through practice and what uh, you know or playing a guitar same deal the academic process of writing a paper is just like that um but you got to be taught how to do it and that's why we have you know academia in school right Uh, and you don't necessarily have to be taught by that scott iper is a beautiful example like i respect that guy tremendously i was talking to him yesterday and he's just fantastic you know you can totally learn this stuff without school i will fully say that as the guy with the doctorate um, right it's 100 doable what the school does is it just gives you it helps you acquire the skill set to write papers to publish to think critically that's what school does that that's that's what like my phd i didn't really learn that much biology in my phd i learned how to write with my phd that's what i learned in that i learned how to talk to people with my phd and being brutally honest, I learned how to manipulate people with my PhD. <laughs> that was the other thing, which is actually a skill set that proves to be quite handy. So, <laughs> you know, when you're like at the mercy of a committee and they're like, you're going to do this for one more year. And you're like, yeah, no, I'm not. You get you learn how to like inception people so that this should just come to a freaking end. So, um, you know, anyway. But yeah, but yeah, no, yeah. all of that combined, I think that's why this why either a certificate program or a master's degree or something to that effect it'll help you a lot of people are like oh they think they're better i don't think i'm better than anybody you can go f yourself if you think i think you're better than i'm better than you i know i'm not better than you i just had opportunities you didn't that's the difference so i want to give you the opportunity right the end done yeah no i mean love it 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 has uh you personally and the program have have absolutely changed my life and it's been the most fulfilling thing that i've ever done in in academia i've always done decent in school but i've never liked school and i told myself i'd never go back to school and the only (laughs) reason i did was because of finding you so thank you well thank you sincerely sincerely means a lot to me that's why i do this yeah so cool anyway now i'm done okay (laughs) What a way to end. I love it. Yes. Love and happiness stuff. Wow. <laughs> well done. Well done, gents. Yeah. Yes. But yeah, folks, if, if if people are listening and they're on the fence, definitely give it a try. Yeah. 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 Give it a whirl. What's a so little what a, debt? No, yeah. so <laughs> We're all going to be in debt anyway forever. Uh, Trust me. I'm, I'm, I'm planning a wedding. I know all of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um. All right. Well, I know oh. you have to get to another podcast. Uh, yes, I so. do. Oh. <laughs> Give the man time for uh, dinner and the round. break. Right. <laughs> so, uh, 
All right, let's yeah, yeah let's close it out. Uh, right, if you want to find out about uh, anything with us, MoreliaPythonRadio.com has all the podcasts, everything you want to see, learn, know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, info at MoreliaPythonRadio.com. That's all I got. Boom. My name's Lucas Centralian Exotics. <laughs> <laughs> Selling snakes and, and it's making on. up poop. That's what I do. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Nice. <laughs> For me, you can find me on YouTube just under my name, Riley Jimison, or on Instagram and all the other socials under Riley's Reptiles. I did get a store put up on Teespring, so you can find that under Riley's Reptiles store on Teespring. If you're looking at the icons and you're like, why does he only have a blue shirt? Click it. There's lots of colors available. Everyone's like, what the hell's up with these random colors? Click the item, see all the colors available. There's a lot of cool stuff. I was bored one day. Just have at it. I got my logo read done digitally so been a long time coming i've got stickers too uh i will be re-photographing some of the animals remaining from last season to get those put up on morph market hopefully in the near future so we'll have some babies going up for sale soon and lots breeding for this season so the landslide of baby pythons will keep coming hopefully and crebos and rainbows so that's all i got excellent very cool i guess if you want to find me go for it (laughs) um I'm Zach Loafman at Facebook, <laughs> and then Dr. Crawdad, Zach Loafman Instagram, um, and then you can if you search me online, it's kind of funny because like three four years ago when you would search my name, it was like crayfish 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 crayfish. <laughs> now you search my name and it's like this podcast, this podcast, this podcast. <laughs> Falsewater like, Cobra. False pretty sure it's gonna be like snakes, and then oh, <laughs> so anyway. But um, no, you can if you find me online, what's Liberty? university.edu i'm there and you can email me at z loafman or z loafman at westliberty.edu and in all seriousness like lucas said anybody that's interested in that grad degree needs to reach out to me because i have openings for the herpetoculture lab on campus right now um yeah. i'm looking for a kid and you've heard about the project so you know <laughs> sky's the limit it's pretty awesome so nice. that's what i got boom yeah. all right. very cool we did it we did right. it have a good night everybody Have a good night, everybody. Thank you. Bye.